0: Hey Pac12 Sports fans, do you want to get killer seats to see your favorite team for the price of a beer or a large pizza? Are you tired of paying for all the inflated markups from brokers or last-minute convenience charges so you end up paying courtside prices for nosebleed seats? Go to O-N-E-I-N 100.co. That's one in one zero zero dot C-O. Feeling lucky? Try it now. The novelty of 1 in 100 is that there's no place online that's doing online raffles to win tickets to events. It's a totally new way to score tickets to your favorite events and new way to see your favorite Pac-12 team. The cost of potentially scoring tickets with 1 in 100 is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. Score a pair of tickets for less than the cost of a beer. Your first raffle ticket is free after signing up. The experience of using 1 in 100, which is extremely fun and exciting for picking your lucky number, to the feeling of potentially scoring premium tickets, feeling lucky? Try 1in100.co. That's onein one 0 dot co
1: Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the podcast of champions.
0: I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here is- I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner
1: going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, USC. We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network.
0: And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Pretty good weekend of Pac-12 football. And, Dave, this is my third weekend in a row. I felt like I got to watch a lot of the games just in the comforts of my own home. I had a Friday game. I had a bye week. I had a a game that I didn't travel to on the road. So it's been like not having to be at a USC game allows me to watch a lot more. It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, being at games is overrated. And frankly, they they staggered the schedule much better the last couple of weeks, I feel. Like there was, a, earlier in the season, it felt like there were like maybe four or five Pac-12 games on it functionally the same time. This week, it was maybe two, maybe two that you had to pay attention yeah. to all at the same time. But most of the time, it was really well staggered. Ah, uh, this week once we get to it is really, really well staggered, um. But it uh, good, it man. was a fun week in a Pac-12 football.
0: It was, yeah. I feel you know, I feel a little you know, it's later loaded or whatever. But um, and there was some some overlap. But you know, at some point, you're like, oh, I'm going to turn this one on off and turn this one on. But it was cool. It was yep. The last three weeks, uh, I'll be back to covering games again though. So and traveling, so it's going to suck. But uh, we'll see. I'll I'll do what I can. Um, we want to hear from you guys. So thanks for uh, sending all your questions in. We get a lot of them every week. Uh, you can email us, pack12podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at pack12podcast. We do a lot on the Twitter. Uh, you can call us or send us a text. We got some of those this week. 424 678 is the number. So call or text us. You can leave a quick voicemail or send us a text. And then all of our our picks all of uh the the survivor pool, all of our past episodes, all is up on our blog, podcast.com uh, so you can check all that stuff out. If you missed anything, you want to go back and get some of our insights from whatever previews we did before the season or you want to see what we said about a certain game during the season, we cover them all and they're all up on com. Dave.
1: Did you did you just use the word insights to describe what we say about football games? We
0: they, it's okay.
1: I, what about I, just sites? Like, <laughs> what about just like, we see
0: stuff. <laughs> not necessarily in, but the <laughs> sites are there. I do feel like I'm doing my job better, like just from us doing this. Okay, so we put a lot of work into this. There's not really much. We we get a little bit, uh, but not you know. there's not much like financial gain from doing this. There's certainly nowhere near the amount of work and stuff we put in. But I feel like I do my regular job better because I know these teams when USC plays a team, I know them much better now because we're doing this. Do you feel like kind of the same way? Like you yeah, pay more attention?
1: 100%, especially because I write the game previews every week um, for UCLA. Um, and I, I, I find that they're much more well informed over the last like three years that we've been doing this than they were <laughs> when I first started doing it. Um, just, you know, because you watch, you watch you watch these teams for a little bit more nuance I think when we're trying to discuss them on this show obviously, you know, I, I think there's, the site experts are the experts on this stuff and, you know, I think we would defer to them on most evaluations, but I think we have a better impression than like, you know Joe Jerkhead who's just, you know, talking out of his butt, because uh, we are watching all of them, um, you know maybe I'm bleary-eyed and and delirious by the time I'm <laughs> finishing watching at 2.30 in the morning Eastern, but We are watching them. So that counts.
0: Is that why you don't text me back when I'm texting you during?
1: Dude, honestly, after like 11 p.m. (laughs) on Saturday, I was more or less catatonic sitting on my couch, but still watching, still somehow keeping my eyes open. But uh, no, there was, you know, it's like um, putting yourself down into like a sleep state. Like with a with a you know, when you can get your computer into sleep mode, like yeah. I'm still like doing stuff. There's still some operations going on. My eyes are still open, <laughs> but there's nothing going on in there. like nothing at all. And I, I look at my phone, I see a text message from Ryan, and I say, "I can't form the words right now. Nothing's gonna come out. I'm done.
0: <laughs> nice. yeah. Was-
1: but somehow, some way, I still find the ability to tweet. you, you got to always tweet through it.
0: <laughs> you do tweet through it. You know, one of the the questions that kind of came up to me, uh, through this whole thing. And then, you know, seeing what uh, Stanford did on the road against Notre Dame. Um, you know, seeing Auburn lose over the weekend to, I think it was uh, Mississippi State. What is, and this was a question I posed out there. I think I put it on, on our Twitter, on the Pac-12 Twitter. And, and get your thoughts on this. What's the best conference win that the, that the Pac-12 has? One of the first responses on Twitter we got was.
1: B- BYU versus Wisconsin, right?
0: <laughs> that, was, that was up there. But. Washington losing to Auburn. Like I asked for what the best win was, and the best answer we got was a loss to a team that Auburn who just lost themselves. So what do you what do you feel like is the best win? Because Michigan State ended up losing to Northwestern.
1: Are we only talking non conference? Like just I, in terms of that?
0: I, I kind of think it's Stanford over Oregon, but like what
1: Yeah, but even that it was fluky, right? It wasn't yeah. a like it wasn't like Stanford dominated that game. If anything, that was one of the worst losses for the conference, because Oregon is suddenly looking like if not the class of the conference right there with Washington.
0: Yeah. So I don't know what, I, I'm not sure what the best one is. Cause like the Michigan state one's not that good. Obviously, you know, you thought Nebraska, I think, was I think
1: the- Michigan state's still pretty good. Um, and I think you got to look at when it happened. I think that Colorado win at Nebraska at that point, even with the way Nebraska has folded since then, if you watched that game, Nebraska looked like a different team than they do right now. Yeah. I think Adrian Martinez, he got hurt. And I don't think he's been exactly the same since then. He looked dynamic. That offense looked dynamic in game one. So I would say it's probably Michigan State or Nebraska. Um, but obviously, that's slim pickings. I mean, when you're talking about that, it's uh, Stanford over San Diego State at home is looking better and better. Yeah, they beat them by twenty.
0: That's true. That's um, that's a good win. That's um, a good
1: one. Um,
0: you know that that but, Nebraska game. The one thing though, Nebraska had to forfeit or whatever, not forfeit the uh, they just had to cancel their first game and if you remember Colorado was up like 14 nothing i don't know if nebraska plays that first game and they they played as well as they did in the second half against colorado if colorado doesn't lose that game too
1: that's a great point yeah i don't and i don't know that at all so and if you look at the post game win expectancies for that game uh nebraska should have won it um so so maybe yeah, that is know. the
0: best i mean now you can't say like that and then people are like, well, the you know, Stanford losing to Notre Dame, they're looking really good. That's that's one of the best losses. So like, no, they they got pumped. Like, if you if you lose bad, that can't be a good loss. Like, Washington lost close to Auburn, just Auburn's not looking that good now. USC didn't, you know, was up 14 3 on Texas, and Texas looks really good, but they end up getting pumped, you know, so that can't be like a good loss for the conference. Like, well, they lost to a good team, like, well, so they they got crushed.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Washington and Cal both beat BYU. That's a thing that happened,
0: but um, then now BYU looks god awful now.
1: They don't look good. I mean, Utah State's good. I mean, Utah State's a, a good, um, a, a good Group of Five school. But yeah, BYU doesn't look like they—they they don't look like they should have had any business beating Wisconsin on the road.
0: Yeah, like USC's win over Washington State looks good. Like maybe that doesn't make the conference look as bad. I don't know. Like there's, but
1: just, once again, you look at that game and Washington State uh, maybe should have won it. I mean and again I think it's it And that could be a bad to, loss,
0: right? Because Washington right. State would be undefeated. Because that's a exactly. bad loss for the conference.
1: Exactly. Uh there's the two best wins for the conference are probably Stanford over Oregon and USC over Washington State. And uh they were both bad for the actual, you know, conference and whether or not they can get a team in the playoff.
0: And so, then spoiler alert, Utah beating Stanford, like that's a good win, but you know, I don't know. Like what does that say? Is it say more about Utah or Stanford? It's well, tough. I mean,
1: not spoiler alert, but uh Washington uh, just took down the juggernaut.
0: True. They, uh,
1: they just beat UCLA on the road. They beat a
0: team with a perfect record. That is good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they are perfect. They
1: are perfect.
0: Oh, man. Well, I, I wanted to get that one. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. So we have new uh, rankings. Um, uh, we have to, uh, I don't know. Oh, maybe we'll do this. Uh, where's the... We have the – for Dave's uh, – Dave's out of the survivor pool. So I don't know if we're really going to even talk about it anymore on the show because – I
1: think you should still make your picks. I think you should still make your picks because we've still got, what, two other people doing it? So bo- we'll yeah. wait to the end of the show. You make your pick, and, yeah. uh, and I'll sit here silently.
0: It'll yeah, be so, great. So Dave, spoiler alert, <laughs> took Stanford, and they did not win their game. Uh, myself, Adam Munster-Tiger from Colorado, Colorado – Colorado site – and uh, Chris Fetters, who covers Washington. We all picked Washington State. They were losing in the third quarter, I believe, but they, they ended up pulling out a win. And then Jason Shear had the Huskies, who also was a little closer than what you might have thought. Um so the four and they us didn't but
1: they didn't lose by nineteen at home in a game they were favored by five and a half.
0: That that is true. Right. Uh we have that. And then overall picks, it's been like kind of mediocre the past couple of weeks. Uh I was three and two, so still just over five hundred. Dave was two and three. Um, so yeah, they, we've been kind of, eh, we'll see what happens. We got four, uh, four more games this weekend, but we pro- probably just jump into it, Dave, and do our Pac-12 Roundup. You ready? You excited?
1: I, I was born ready for this moment. This was, this was the thing that all of my life has been building towards it was. this, this Pac-12 Roundup.
0: All right. So this is our new, uh, power rankings. We're going to go in reverse order. Uh, for that so first up is our it's a tough luck team our number 12 team oregon state beavers and they were hosting washington state cougars
1: so i finally agree with this placement not necessarily because of anything oregon state did wrong but just ucla looked better um oregon state so they lost. All right. So Washington State walked into uh, Corvallis and won 56 37. And if you just walk away and you look at that final score, you're like, oh, well, Washington State blew them out. Oregon State was really, really competitive in this game. And they are a few mistakes away from being competitive, especially at home. Um, this I, and I, I don't want to carry water for Oregon State because I think I have a soft spot for them, but they got a So, all right. So the game opened and they were down 14 to nothing in basically no time. Yes. The first drive was this huge, like just Gardner Minshew just throwing dimes downfield. Um, It took three plays touchdown. And that happened in like a minute. And then on the ensuing possession, Oregon State got a punt blocked right by their own end zone. And that was returned for a touchdown. So it was 14 nothing. I want to say with like 12 and a half to go. Yeah, it was like Something. two and a half
0: minutes. I, that's why I turned it on, and I was like,
1: 14 nothing. Holy cow. They basically spotted them 14 points before they even really showed up for the game. Um, and then late in the game. so And from then on, it was really back and forth. Really, really back and forth. In fact, Oregon State took a lead, as you mentioned, up top in the third quarter. Their offense is legitimately dangerous. Um, this was, this is not a bad Washington state defense and Oregon state was able to put up 37 on them. That's, that's, that's real. That's worth paying attention to. Um, and then it was just, again, mistakes. Uh, they got a fumble, um, very late on a, what was a beautiful drive, uh, in the fourth quarter, um, where if they'd scored on that drive, it would have been 42, 37, 42, 38. If they, if they get a two point conversion, um, but instead they fumble at the Washington state nine and Give it right back to Washington State. And then from there it was, you know, Washington State ported on at that point and it quickly went to a 19-point game and then so on and so forth. But this hinged on just mistakes. And I think this was a much closer game than the final score indicated. Oregon State's showing progress to me. Um, defensively, they've got a lot to work out, and that's something that's probably not going to get fixed this year. But they're just there are a few offensive mistakes away from making these games much, much more competitive than they are.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is, uh, I mean, th- okay, this is another example. This is at least the third example of Oregon State not covering a big spread when they should have. They were. not. They were actually winning this game, like a 16-point spread. We both got this one right, but it was by, you know, it was, uh, you know, some kind of got lucky at the end where Washington State piled it on. But Oregon State was there. They were close. And they are actually, like you said, winning this game. The 14 nothing to be able to take that body blow and come back, Um, that next drive, I think they went for it on fourth and 10 from the 30, they got it. And then they went for it again on fourth down, got it again. And then they had, so it was like a 14 play TD drive that answered. And then they got, they tried an onside kick. Um, there was a trick play with like three laterals and a pass. They were doing everything in their power to, to try to do that, you know, to try to do it. They took the lead. I think it was the second, I know they took it the second quarter. I think they kind of did in the third quarter too. Um, and they got some kind of like punt muff or something that, that set up a, a touchdown as well, but they tied it back up at 14 after going down 14, nothing. That's pretty impressive. You know, like not a lot of teams could come out in the first couple minutes and be down two scores. Um, it's weird because the Beavers have like the worst rush defense in the, in the conference. And Mike Leach wasn't running <laughs> the football. He was that balance quote. If you saw what he said uh, during oh, the week, yeah. uh, he was not going to balance out and say, I'm going to run the football because they can't stop it. He wanted to throw the football around and you know, maybe that helped uh, the Beavers kept him you know, kept him in the game for a little while. Uh, but there was a you know two screw up punts on that led to a touchdown on either side. Um, they uh, I think yeah there was the opening kickoff. Uh, Oregon State ended up getting into Washington State territory and then they just like started running uh, Jamar Jefferson and he's an absolute stud. Uh, I think they Oregon State tweeted this out that uh, Jefferson and Ken Simonton are the only two Oregon State running backs with four scores in a game twice in their career, and Jefferson's the only guy to do it in the same season. Um, so Simonton did it one in '98 uh, and one in '99. So he's already up there among you know some of the greats in Oregon State he's, history.
1: He's averaging 6.7 yards per carry this year. Insane. He's a true freshman. True <laughs>
0: freshman from Narbonne High School, just right here, like right, like right near where I'm sitting right now. Not that close. I mean, like ten minutes away. Um, he did. He was the kid that fumbled though in the fourth quarter. Uh, when Oregon State was going in, that was just a killer. And I think they've there was a lot of mistakes, but that was the one that was really hard for uh, the Beavers to overcome. So and then Connor Blau. Oh, and ends he, and up leaving. he was
1: Yeah, and he was beating himself up over it on the sideline too, yeah. walking to the sideline just and you like to see that that passion. You know, some guys are kind of impassive when they do something like that and he was he was fired up.
0: Oh, he had a lot of passion and then you know uh, the quarterback Connor Blau ended up leaving in the fourth quarter. I'm not I don't have a status on him but this was this kind of sums it up David so uh they're getting blitz. I think they had two holding calls in a row they they pick up a blitz <laughs> on third and 30. they pick it up they throw the blonde throws it down the field pick it up then they get another holding call and they had a personal foul on the play. It was third and the TV said 54 but the announcers were saying uh, 55 or or vice versa but it was third and 54 or 55. Um, that's just kind of the, how the day went for Oregon state. Like they were right there and they still couldn't, you know, keep it within a couple of scores.
1: That third and 55 was beautiful. Yeah, it was gorgeous. <laughs> um, you know, Blount, um, yeah, he got hurt and it didn't look good. Um, uh, might've been his left arm. i um, not entirely sure it looked, it didn't look great. Um, and he went down and then Jack Coletto came in and he actually threw a really nice ball down the sideline right after he came in. So maybe there's something there too. Um, Artavis Pierce got back for this one. Uh, he was, he's been dinged up. And so they got a little bit of, um, depth back in their backfield. I do want to mention, we've talked a lot about Oregon state. Um, Washington state looks great. Um, Gardner, Gardner Minshew. Um, I've said it a bunch. I'm just going to keep saying it until somebody listens to me. I'm just yelling into the void. He looks better than Luke Falk did at any point last year. Um, he's, his ball placement's great. Um, he's throwing deep much more than Falk was doing. Um, he is, uh, getting the ball to these playmakers and these playmakers are all good. And you know, there, there are a bunch of guys who were under recruited for the most part, like Desmond Patman. I've mentioned this on the show a couple of times, but he was a guy that I think, I don't know if you were there, but, uh, watching him, I think during his, uh, the summer between his, uh, his junior and senior year, he was at a bunch of seven on seven events. And you're just like, huh, this guy, this guy has a real chance. He's big, he's long, he can catch everything. Um, Really under recruited. Went up to Washington State. I, I think you've got to hand it to Mike Leach's eye with recruiting receiver talent because these are guys who were unheralded, under recruited, and they're they're balling out. Um, Patman, Aesop Winston, uh, Tay Martin, like these guys are really, really good. Um, and I think Washington State is well designed to uh, compete in the North all year.
0: I think you're right, and uh, that we have them up at number four. If I did not mention it, my apologies uh, to on the power ranking. So. Uh, Washington State's five and one, uh, Oregon State's one and five. Both teams have a bye, so uh, they get to rest up a little bit. And uh, for the Cougs, uh, it's not an easy road coming out of the bye with Oregon and at, on the road at Stanford back to back. But you know they can make a lot of noise uh, those first couple games. And for and that'll
1: be Oregon. That'll be Oregon coming off Oregon Washington. Right. So that's. That's the time when you want to catch this Oregon team if you're going to catch them, I think.
0: Yeah. And the Beavers, uh, not a, I mean, Cal and, and at Colorado, uh, USC at home, at Stanford, at Washington, and Oregon. So um, I'm not sure where you're seeing a win. I mean, Cal's not look great. That, is that the best shot that the, the Beavers have for a conference win? <laughs> for-
1: probably if i'm looking at it in aggregate i think they'll make i mean look this game was what two or three mistakes away from being a one possession game yeah. right um you know i think they were they should have beaten nevada this is a more competitive team than the than these blowouts are necessarily indicating they're going to make one of these games weird uh maybe it's home against cal maybe it's home against usc that usc offense oh, yeah yeah uh, has been shaky at times. I don't think they're going to, I'm not picking that one, but that one could get weird. It's, it's gotten weird for USC and Oregon state before that could definitely happen again. Um, and you know, I, 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 see each of these games except probably at Washington at Stanford and against Oregon. I think these next three, I think each of them could get weird in their own ways.
0: Um, Hey, real quick, before we jump into the next game, I got a couple emails from the PAC 12. So October, um, 20th so colorado at washington that should be pretty good that's a 12 30 game on fox so we know the tv times for a few of these oregon at washington state also on fox that'll be at 4 30 so that's a pretty good day colorado at washington oregon at washington state some big some big hitters playing each other october 20th and then arizona at ucla will be on espn 2 at 7 30 p.m wait
1: ucla arizona didn't get game day
0: they they did not this year. It was close. I think they were second in the the okay. yeah. Um well this it. is this is October 20th, so this is a week and a half out. Um USC at Utah, which will be a good one, uh on Pac-12 Networks. Crazy, that's on Pac-12 Network, and there's no time determined for that. And Cal at Oregon State also will be on Pac-12 Network. So they should announce according to Wilner, he sent out his uh, uh email, they'll be later today. And then uh, they'll they'll announce those. And then Pac-12 football players of the week. Uh, any guesses? You might be able to get None. these off the top of your head. Okay. Uh, offensive? Minshew? Uh, no, LaVisca Chenault.
1: Okay. Four yeah, four fine. total
0: touchdowns. Two two receiving, two rushing. I, I kind of went back and forth. Last week I voted for Minshew over uh, uh, Eno Benjamin, but uh, this week I did vote for Chenault and he got it. Um, for defense uh,
1: f- from the main ben- game.
0: Mm, mm, mm. huge play in the the main game basically I don't know Jalen Johnson the 100 yard interception return for a touchdown. oh okay yeah, yeah that's fine and then uh Matt Gay got special teams so he hit a couple of key uh field goals um right before the end of the half and then right at the beginning of the third quarter against Stanford and he added one later so like a 48 and 49 yard or so good good for good for those three that won the uh Pac 12 players of the week. Uh, so that was number 12 and number four. Uh, this is our number 11 team. UCLA Bruins. And, uh, they were hosting the new, well, yeah, I think it's new number one. Oh no. Uh, they've been number one for a couple weeks. I think Washington Huskies.
1: Yeah. So this game, uh, was probably first, the first really competitive game UCLA has had since Cincinnati in the opener. Uh, the Bruins lost 31, 24 to Washington. Um, Uh, first off, I would say Washington probably didn't play up to its ability in this one. Um, their defense was just not quite right. Um, I think part of it was UCLA did scout some things out. Um, Chip Kelly talked about being able to hit some stuff over the middle and that's how, you know, Washington's defense is designed where you can get some soft spots, um, underneath their safeties and UCLA did that pretty well. Um, got, they got Caleb Wilson, the ball for the first time really this year. Um, and he was able to exploit some things over the middle. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson was sharp, uh, again, for maybe the first time this year, you know, he's been up and down, but it's been within a game where he's been up and down, not game to game. Uh, this was the first game where he was pretty much up the whole time. Um, he played his best game of the season. Um, and UCLA now has a running game. Joshua Kelly now in back to back games had over a hundred yards. Uh, he, is legitimately good. Uh, You watch him, he's a physical runner, but he's also explosive in the open field. Um, He gives you a little bit of stability at that position that UCLA really hasn't had since Paul Perkins. Um, So look for him to get the ball more and more as time goes on. Um, And on Washington's end, I I think what UCLA was... um, the, The key with Washington is you've got to pressure Jake Browning, but you have to do it with probably four or five consistently to get him rattled where he also doesn't have some place to throw the ball really quickly. UCLA to get pressure on him had to blitz probably a little bit too much. And so they, they rattled him a little. Uh, Browning did throw a pretty bad pick at one point, but not quite enough. Um, And I think he was able to hit some throws downfield. Uh, Aaron Fuller had a nice game for Washington. Um, The defense just wasn't able to get quite enough pressure Um, But they tackled in the running game really well. Um, Washington ran the ball a ton. I think it was like 55 carries, but they ended up with under 200 yards. So it was a sub four average, uh, which is pretty good. That's a far cry from last year when Washington, I think, racked up like, I don't know, I think it was something like 700 yards on the ground. Um, This was this was better than that. Um, They were bad at contain. Jake Browning did look like a dual threat in this one, which whenever you're making Jake Browning look a dual threat, you're doing something wrong. Um, but overall it was a nice showing for UCLA. They probably have to walk out of this game feeling pretty good about things. Um, this is the first game where the offense looked credible, like looked like it had a chance of being good. Um, so if they can build on that and turn it into something else, that would be, um, obviously a positive and for Washington, whatever, it's a road pack 12 game. You didn't play your best and you still won. I mean, you take that and you walk away. Um, but it was, uh, It was actually a watchable fourth quarter for once for UCLA. So that was something.
0: It was, yeah. And uh, this, you know, it's funny. The two weeks in a row, Washington did the exact opposite of what I thought. This was a 21-point spread. We both took uh, Washington laying the 21. Um, I I didn't think they would cover against BYU. And BYU apparently now is complete garbage. So um, they're, you know, and Washington looked really good. You kind of felt, oh, Washington looked really good against BYU. They'll come to UCLA and do the same thing. And they really didn't. And UCLA looked a lot better. Um, You know, we saw them come out of the bye week uh, and play on the road to Colorado and play really well for a while, and then kind of fall apart. They didn't really fall apart in this one. So, and it wasn't didn't look like a huge crowd or anything, Dave, uh, at the Rose Bowl. Maybe it started filling up a (laughs) little. There
1: were there were maybe forty one thousand people there. Okay, so not
0: huge, uh, but you know, looked like they were getting into it for a while and being in you know close to the game. Washington had I think three hundred thirty five yards in the first half. And uh, Browning had like three or four first down runs, uh, which was kind of crazy. Like he took off and, and ran a couple. I think one was like a third and 15 or third and 10 or something, and he picked it up. Uh, but Washington was really good on third downs. So but I thought that UCLA played tough throughout this game. Uh, the defense probably was on the field too long, and uh, I don't think that helped. But you look at the final numbers, uh, Washington ended up being really efficient, 11 of 18 on third down. But UCLA wasn't bad. They were 8 of 14. That's good, you know, and um, Washington held the ball for 38 minutes to UCLA's 22, so that's a pretty huge uh, advantage. But otherwise, I think a lot of the stats were pretty close. Uh, Washington didn't get any tackles for loss, so, you know, UCLA wasn't going backwards a lot. So I I thought UCLA did a lot of good things in this game, and I don't know if it tells us a ton about Washington, but, you know, you know they're talented enough and they're well-coached enough where they can just kind of Cruise in a game that maybe they should be blowing an opponent out and they don't need to but they can still sort of relax a little bit and win the game and it looks like that's what Washington did
1: yeah and um yeah I would say on that on that tackles for loss front I think part of it was Washington really wasn't sending much pressure at all um and then also the combination of uh getting boss Tagaloa back at center and Joshua Kelly being the surefire starting running back it's changed the running game quite a bit um kelly runs with some anger um if anybody watched he the game he just yeah. he runs hard um and so when you're watching that he's not getting tackled for losses too often he just <laughs> he's getting forward momentum and he's going to hit somebody if he has to but he's not he got i think he he had 20 carries and his stuff rate was like 10% so he got stuffed on on two carries but those were no gain they were not losses right. so He's uh, he's generating positive yardage and he's explosive enough to turn, you know, a crease into something that's going to be a 20 or 30 yard gain. So I think that helps. Um, I think Washington walked into a situation where UCLA's run game had already shown improvement in the previous week. I think they'd built some confidence and I could see Washington maybe not being quite ready for the new wrinkles UCLA's put into the running game to try to build some of that interior running. Um, so it might've put them on their heels a little bit. Um, and then I just don't think they sent very much pressure. I think it was more of a containment strategy for Washington where they were just trying to keep big plays from happening. And frankly, it didn't work that well. Uh, UCLA was much more explosive than any team has been against Washington this year. This was the best offense performance for a team playing against Washington all year. So, um, you know i'm sure ucla fans would like to think that was all just the the strategy from ucla i think part of it was maybe washington coming in with a pretty conservative game plan
0: yeah uh arizona state scored 20 so that was the closest that anyone's come so the to uh, ucla's 24 um you know why we'll talk about washington's uh tough game coming up but ucla a couple winnable games right like at cal uh in arizona um, yeah i
1: think I, I i'm jumping off the and 12 train I, I this doesn't You know, three weeks ago, this definitely looked like an 0-12 team. Um, Now, uh, competitive in this game, and for whatever reason competitive in this game, whether you think it was Washington being a little bit down for this game or UCLA getting a little bit lucky with explosive plays, they look just better. They look fundamentally better from an eye test perspective. I think, you know, there's some winnable games. This could be a a step, we'll talk about this weekend, this could be a step back weekend for them. You know, this was two steps forward. It's going to be like that: two steps forward, one step back. This could be a step back weekend, but Cal's winnable, Arizona's winnable. Um, you know, Utah at home that can always get strange. Uh, yeah, I, I see them going probably two and ten, three and nine.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate. Usually, we'll have like the eleven and twelve teams play each other at some point. This year, they do not. So, Oregon State and UCLA do not play each other. So, someone needs to uh, jump out of the cellar there. Um, all right. Our next uh, matchup, this is our, uh, our number 10 team now. California Golden Bears. And uh, they were uh, on the road. Oh, they were hosting. I'm sorry. No, they were on the road. They were on the road uh, against our number nine team. Arizona Wildcats. <laughs>
1: neither team wanted to win this game that's that's my sense of it (laughs) this was like the
0: clunker right of all oh it
1: sucked so bad and it was like really sad it was almost sad to watch all right so arizona won 24 17 um this was just it was like a brandon McElwain just implosion um by the end of the game it didn't look like he had any idea where the ball was going to go when it came out of his hand that was like that felt like I don't know if it's quite at the like Chuck Knobloch losing the ability to throw to first base, but that was, yikes, just kind of yipsy, um, just making really bad decisions with the football. And he had played a pretty nice game until the, the end, um, but he threw, what, two pick sixes in this game? Yeah. Is that is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, one is bad, two is a killer. Both came in the second half. Cal had been playing a pretty nice ball control game up to that point. Um, they probably didn't run the ball nearly enough. I don't know why they were throwing the ball quite so much. Um, cause they were running the ball at a pretty nice clip. McIlwain's a good runner at quarterback. I, I joked before the game, both of these teams should be running Arizona's offense from last year. Um, and coming out of the game, I think both of these teams should have run Arizona's offense from last year. Uh, cause Khalil Tate, Hey, he still can run a little bit. He ran the ball a little bit in this one. Um, I think the injury stuff is maybe a little overblown. I think it's just the the scheme is not calling for him, or maybe he doesn't want to run as much. I don't know, but they're just not running the ball nearly as much. And uh, I think both of these teams should have run quite a bit more than they did. Um, but this was ugly, man, just ugly, top to bottom. But I really felt for McElwain in this one because it just didn't, it did not look good. There was that crazy interception um, where he, there was a tipped ball, it yeah. fell in the hands of Schooler. Then he runs, <laughs> then he's trucking down the field and a Cal player pokes it up and away, and it bounces perfectly. They show the replay. Right it bounces perfectly in a spiral right up into the arms of another Arizona player who's just randomly running alongside the whole thing who takes it into the end zone for that pick six. So it was one of the strangest pick sixes you'll ever see, but it still gets counted the same on the score sheet. And yeah. uh, Cal lost weird, weird game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I have no other takeaways.
0: They, uh, did he break stride on that play. And, uh, no,
1: I, it was beautiful. And, and I,
0: I got, I, this is another one I didn't get, it was 10, nothing when I turned it on because I was looking at the college pressbox.com thing and they said it was 8 PM Pacific, but I think they might've meant 8 PM, um, uh, mountain or something. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it was, it started 7 PM. So I was like, oh, it's already 10, nothing, Arizona. So we got this one wrong. We picked uh, Cal, but you saw that Arizona had the early lead. And You're like, oh, but Cal's playing better, you know. Um, and then, but both teams were just making mistakes. uh Khalil Tate had that early touchdown pass, that, and then uh, then he went out, and I, I, people thought it was because he was injured. Uh, they put in the backup for a play, and then uh, he came back in. But they were like, it was just like a design thing, and that just Arizona just went out of rhythm. And there was a stretch there where like no one was scoring. Um, McIlwain was running the ball like crazy. He had a couple of touchdown runs and then you're at one point, you're like, wow, Cal really found their quarterback. Cause as you know, they were going back and forth, um, with, uh, Garbers and, uh, um, and they didn't have, they didn't really haven't used Bowers much, but, uh, they, you know, McIlwain, the transfer from South Carolina and Garbers, but then McIlwain started to become a turnover machine. And it just seems like every time cows like gets the ball, okay, they're going to take the lead now. And then they turn the ball over. It was crazy. Um, the, the Arizona offense just wasn't doing anything. But the defense, I think, let them hang in there. I just wasn't sure how long they were going to be able to do it, but they did. They, they, they you know, lasted the whole game. Um, the pick six was, was crazy. Uh, so it was funny. Cal went down. They got to, I think they were at the three. They went for it on fourth and one. And then they got stuffed. So it was like, just they would get this close, Dave, to scoring. Um, and then after that stop, Arizona looked, the offense looked better. Uh, Khalil Tate ran for like a, a first down on third and long. Um, they had a really dr- great drive going. And then JJ Taylor fumbled away <laughs> and it gave the ball right back to Cal. And then right after that McAvoy threw another pick. So it was just like, it was just this one guy with one team would make a mistake. Then the other team would make a mistake. Um, Arizona ended up missing a field goal and gave Cal life. Uh, they had a strong, you know, a real good drive going, then a sack fumble gave the ball back to Arizona again. Um, They get a stop and you think they got a shot and then they throw a pick six again. It was just like if you just whoever would make that last mistake was going to lose, I guess. But if you look at the yardage, Cal had 476 yards to Arizona's 265. They had a 25 to 13 advantage on first downs. They were eight of 15 versus five of 15 on third downs. And Arizona ended up fumbling the ball five times in this game, but they only lost one. So it was just like mistakes everywhere to the board. There was like the point where it was really not watchable.
1: No, not a watch football game. What'd you think of the fourth and one? I liked it. I thought McIlwain kind of screwed up the run. It looked like there was a gap a little bit to his left and he just kind of ran into a a tackler. Yeah. And he also, he he like hesitated or something too. It was just kind of odd.
0: There wasn't a lot of patience there. Yeah. Like there's sometimes you just have to take, you know, a nanosecond to assess where your the best crease is, you know, where you can kind of squeeze in and it didn't seem like he did that.
1: Yeah. So, I liked the call, actually. I thought it was the smart move to do it. Um, They could have won the game right there because Arizona was doing nothing offensively. Arizona's offense is god-awful. I mean, just (laughs) god-awful. And I know Cal's defense is good, but, man, whatever Nolmazoni did here, whatever they've done to poor Khalil Tate, whatever Khalil Tate is, I don't know, injured or whatever, it's not good. This is not fun to watch. Uh,
0: No, it was not. So, uh, I don't know. There was... Neither team seemed like they wanted to win it. There were so many mistakes. Um, we'll see. We'll see where, where these teams go. I think Cal is probably due for some sort of bounce back because that's that's one of those games where the coaches are going to rip into you. You're going to do extra everything. Like They made so many mistakes. Um, yeah. But, but they went with one quarterback, right? They didn't uh, really use Garber, so maybe they picked their guy. But after all those turnovers, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that second half, I wonder if they're going to go and try to put Garbers out there a little bit more.
0: Um, yeah, we'll see. Okay. So that was 11, 10, nine, eight. But so this is the, our number eight team, I believe. I think that's where we are.
1: Arizona state sun devils. <laughs>
0: and they were on the road, uh, taking on our now number three team in the power rankings.
1: Colorado Buffalo. <laughs> So this is a really uh, fun and competitive game. Uh, Colorado won 28-21 at home. Um, for a stretch there, it looked like it could have just been, you know, all-time quarterback and then Nikhil Harry and LaVisca Chenault just face off each poem both ways. That would have been fun. I would have watched that. Watch been that. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, LaVisca Chenault definitely won uh, that matchup if it did exist. Um, he was a stud. Um, nobody can cover him. Uh, I think teams are trying. They just can't. Um, he was great in the pass game. He was, uh, he is, I don't know, maybe the uh, top three short yardage back in the conference. Yeah. You know, if he, if he wanted to just be a short yardage back, he could do it. Um, he was 5 of 13 with two rushing touchdowns. 5, four thirteen 13 with two rushing touchdowns. I also had two receiving touchdowns. So he was a stud. Uh, Steven Montez was accurate and good in the pass game. Um, on Arizona State's side, I, so they've obviously found a running game. Um, the issue is, Manny Wilkins has now had uh, three straight games of not being great, and they're not doing a wonderful job of getting the ball to their best player, Nikhil Harry. I mean, it's a study in contrast, right? You look at what Colorado does, and of what do we have here? Um, 13. Uh, he had 13 receptions, and there were 24 total. So, and so 33 attempts for Montez. 13 catches. I would guess a good half of his attempts at least went were targeted for Chenault. Um and then he also had five touches in the run game. That's what you do with your best playmaker. You get him the ball as often as possible. And Nikhil Harry ended up with three uh catches and one carry. And they lined him up in the Wildcat one point and he converted a first down. Um They got to get him the ball more now. He got hurt in this one and we'll talk. I think we've got a question about the uh, play where he got hurt Um, suffered. I think a thigh contusion of some sort. And so he was out for a good bit of the second half. But even still, um, they've got to find a way to get him the ball more. They've got to find a way to get this passing game going because it seems like the passing game has fallen off just as the running game has gotten going Um, and they need to to work that out because Wilkins has the ability. I mean, he hit a deep bomb to Frank Darby in this one. Um, but they need to work on that more consistently. Um, I know they want to build a rushing identity and they were you know, pretty effective running the ball in this one, but, um, uh, they're going to need to be more balanced if they want to be a true South contender. And I still think that's out there for them. I still think they can do it. Um, I don't think Colorado is going to get through the season undefeated. Um, but, uh, they're now in a, in a pretty big hole
0: yeah they are and this is uh this was we got this one right uh, we took Colorado and they were uh laying two and a half points uh so they were a home favorite in this one um I didn't know this but Steven Montez came in as the most accurate passer in the nation. did you know that that was pretty cool.
1: I didn't know it, but it makes sense. I mean yeah. he's been really good this year.
0: he's been good. it's been a three-headed monster for for the buffs uh on offense at least so early on, I liked the way Colorado's offense looked. they were very balanced. Arizona State, like you said, they were just relying on the run the whole time, and you you got you know Wilkins and Harry, and they just didn't seem to, to use it as much. And I like that Colorado was doing all kinds of movement, shuffle, but you know like the passes, uh, reverses, fake reverse, throwbacks, like they were moving the ball all over the place and really trying to keep the Arizona State defense off balance. And I, I think that was nice. It opened things up. Um, but they, they end up losing uh, Landon, the, their leading tackler. He got a targeting call in the second quarter. So he was out for the rest of the game. But I thought the front seven for Arizona State was playing really well. And they, you know, even with all that movement, they did a pretty good job of trying to slow Colorado down. It was just kind of this chess match back and forth. Everyone was doing crazy stuff. And, you know, who's going to come out on top? Uh, Wilkins did end up getting a couple long passes after, you know, in the second half, but the first half, it was really just all runs. I thought, you know, if they could have opened it up a little bit more, I think that would have helped. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, Colorado got a huge stand in the fourth quarter. I think it was first and goal from the three Arizona skate, state and did not end up scoring. They got stopped on fourth down. So that was a huge play in the game. And then you mentioned the thigh injury. I think him not playing Nikhil Harry, not playing much in the second half, I think really hurt. The Sun Devils, they could have thrown to him more in the first half, but they, they chose to throw in the second half, but that's when he got hurt. Um, and then Manny Wilkins ended up getting, uh, he got like high load in the game and he ended up getting hurt. But it, I think it was only out for like one series or one play or something. It wasn't, it, it, Colorado was just controlling the ball at the end of the game. But uh, we don't know what the extent of that was. I think Chris Cartman might have gave an injury update where it didn't think they were going to be out for for that much. Arizona said it a bye week, so they'll have some time to, but it was a really weird hit on Harry. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in the uh, in the questions and stuff. But the Sun Devils were 5-6 of six on third down in the first half. So even though they were just running the football, I think they, they did a pretty good job. But all of them were like short or medium distance. In the second half, they didn't convert a single third down on five attempts. And most of them were third and long. So for whatever reason, they weren't able to get that going in the second half. And that's when Colorado took advantage. But I I know it's a very frustrating loss for Arizona State fans. We got some tweets and stuff about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a a couple more notes. Um, Mike McIntyre, if you guys have watched any of his post-game interviews this year, I've caught two of them. He loves this team. Like You often hear coaches (laughs) talk about their teams and they're like, "Uh, you know, I I really like this team or whatever. When they start to get into like gushing about a particular team, I, I think it's something to pay attention to, honestly. Because it makes me think there's you know, some good culture dynamic happening for Colorado to be five and zero. They haven't really played anybody great at this point, but I think there's, you know, maybe a little bit of that, uh, 2016 magic going on here. Um, because they, they, they really do seem like they're just kind of doing the, the, what they need to do to win games. Um, and then, so Arizona state also had a couple of fourth down decisions in this one that have drawn some criticism. um, at the uh, where am I looking Uh, in the second half they had the opportunity to kick a field goal when they were down seven instead they turned it over on downs at the Colorado three on fourth and goal what do you think of that should they take him points it was 14 minutes to go in the game
0: yeah there I think at some point field goals aren't terrible Um, yeah and I you know it's hindsight or whatever but I I still feel like it was almost like you're going for it for the sake of it or something and it's like you know that strategically you know points probably weren't bad in that spot
1: yeah so what anyway. do you think
0: Did you you're you're a go for it a lot guy
1: yeah um uh, situationally i uh, the goal line is weird um because you you lose a lot of your playbook and you lose a lot of the depth options um i would I think that's still probably a go at the thir- three yard line. I would have just liked a better play. Um, it didn't. It didn't look like it had a whole lot of chance. So, um, yeah, I, I, I probably would have still gone, but I would have held my nose doing it.
0: All right. This is uh, this is the big one, um, and this is the one we picked differently. We're, this is now wow to the bottom half. Our number seven team, Stanford Cardinal. They were hosting a team that was 0-2 in the conference. Utah Utes.
1: Yeah, uh, so Utah won 40-21. When things go bad for Stanford, they really <laughs> go bad. Uh, KJ Costello had a miserable start to this game. Uh, he threw a couple of first-half interceptions, including a pick six. Um, it was on back-to-back uh, series, actually, and had uh, Stanford down 14 to nothing pretty much immediately. Um, and then uh, it was 21 to nothing soon after the second interception. So Stanford was in a huge hole early. They played Utah about even after that, but um, Costello got them in a very bad spot with some bad decisions, um, both kind of in <laughs> just scoring position. Um, so it was a game where they probably, it was probably again, we, we always say this more competitive than the score indicated because yeah. Stanford was driving on both of those and was basically in the near her in the end zone on both of those. Um, but uh, you can't, you can't obviously <laughs> throw two picks in that situation um, from then on. It was pretty much an even game. Stanford started to do its thing where it throws the ball downfield and makes some big plays in the past game. They just couldn't do it enough. Um, they got this cut to 27, uh, 21 at one point, and then they just couldn't score again. Uh, Utah's defense is really good. Um, and so, when it's really good, like it was in this game, um, it's hard to score more than you know three touchdowns. What had been the case up to this point is that Utah's offense had been atrocious, but they found a good... So you saw like little bits of this last week where they started to just really emphasize, we're going to be a running football team, and then they really went for it in this one. Zach Moss was fantastic, um, but their whole rushing attack... They, they're just like, well, look, we're going to be a running team. That's our identity. Um, and they've established that now. And they were able to do it against Stanford. And then Tyler Huntley looks better because not so much as being put on him in the pass game. He's being asked to throw in, in good and favorable pass situations. Yeah. And look what he does. 17 of 21 for almost 200 yards and a touchdown. That's perfectly fine when you're running for five yards a carry on 43 carries. That's that's great. Um, so. Utah might have found its rhythm. It might have found, you know, kind of the the team that we were expecting them to be from the start of the season. And now it's game five and they're rounding into four. And Stanford, you know, I it was I, I think the knock on Costello at this point, if you're just evaluating him, is when he is under pressure, things get weird. Yeah. Uh, when he's got guys at his feet, he does not make great decisions. When he has a clean pocket, he can deliver the ball to those big receivers all day long. Um, but if there's an evolution in his game, it's what does he do when things get messy? Um, and right now he does not do the right thing, but if he can, if he can improve that, I think he's got a real potential to be a big time player, but it's, uh, it's all, it's all on his development when dealing with pressure.
0: No, uh, no Bryce love in this game. So that was a, a game time scratch. So that must've make you feel good with your, your survivor pick, right? That, Oh, Bryce loves not going to play.
1: Yeah, that felt great. <laughs>
0: Uh, but I, I agree. The, you know, Utah's big question was on offense. And Tyler Huntley, I thought, did a really good job of using his legs to move the chains. Uh, he did a great job with the play action passes. I thought the game plan was much better, uh, much better suited. And you you know that Utah's going to play good defense. This was kind of like an early play in the game where special teams make a difference. So, uh, you know, you got Wisnowski, who's the the all, all everything punter. It was fourth and two. Utah was driving in Stanford territory and they decided to punt, which you probably don't like that. Um, but when Wisnowski got the, and Stanford was in kind of like a regular defense because you, you thought they were going to go for it. Wisnowski just got the punt, they got the the snap and just kind of sat on it for a second and just like held it and allowed rushers to get closer to him and then punted and got run into and gave Utah first down. They ended up scoring. So I thought that was a brilliant play. But that's the kind of stuff. Like those little special teams plays make a huge difference. And then when Stanford's trying to to uh, to come back and they're, they're moving the ball really well, that's when, like you said, a little bit of pressure on Costello, guy at his feet, and he underthrows. I forget which big receiver it was, but he threw it to where like a five ten receiver was should have been instead of a six five receiver. And that's when Jalen Johnson picked it off, and uh, and th- that just gave Utah so much confidence. But two red zone interceptions for Costello. The other one was uh, – that was a really bad one. It was a blitz, and then a lineman picked it off. So it was a fat guy interception, but two two really bad ones for Costello. Now, Utah center was out, and uh, they end up moving the backup for uh, – one of the guards moved to – you know, and I thought that might be an issue for for Utah up front. It, maybe it slowed them down for a little bit, but um, – you know they 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 just bounced back Dave like it was a fourth and two Utah went for it and Zach Moss took it to the house and I thought the 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 end of the first half and the beginning of the second half was really key for Utah because Stanford ended up scoring late and uh, and a, p- a pass interference penalty gave Utah life right at the end. So Stanford scored there was only like 30 seconds left but they got a PI call and uh, Utah comes back, and they end up kicking a field goal to make it 24-7 at half. It was like a 48-yard field goal. And then they open the the third quarter, they get the ball, and they kick another one, so it's 27-7. And that really could have been a turning point for Stanford where they score at the end of this first half, and then they get momentum going to the second, but it wasn't the case. Utah ended up scoring to end the half and to start the half, and even when Stanford cut it to to six points, 21-6, Utah still had... Uh, answers for him. So they get a stop. They got the ball. Uh, I think third, it was like third down and it was a near sack on Tyler Huntley, but he escaped and ended up throwing a long touchdown pass. So these were there were just these, you know, turn of event plays that Utah kept making and we hadn't seen them make early in the season. So that put Utah up three scores and then uh, they ended up getting like a sack fumble and it was a ball game. So it was like 37-21 30, and uh, ended up 40-21. to 21. But it was a, it was just a, a well played game by Utah, and even when Stanford clawed back like they always do, Utah still handled their business, and I, I was really impressed with what they were able to do. Stanford ended up turning the ball over four times, and then here's a, queer, a weird stat for you: uh, Bay Area quarterbacks Dave seven turnovers on Saturday. That was pretty bad.
1: That's impressive.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that was kind of long, but I had a bunch of notes on it. So.
1: Oh, that's that's great. Um, yeah, and you know, uh, I think uh, a hidden thing here is uh, Stanford's offensive line is not great. And it's, um, you know, probably about time to start talking about that because they, they've recruited well on the offensive line, but it's not performing well, uh, allowing a bunch of pressure and not opening up anything in the run game.
0: All right, so I think that's all the games, right? So we had that was our seven and six team. So at number uh, five, who had a bye week, we had USC Trojans. And then we talked about Washington state already at number 4, uh Colorado at number 3, uh our number uh 2 team and Dave says, you know, maybe this isn't the right pick here. Oregon Ducks. They're also oh, yeah. on a bye. and then uh yeah. Washington we have number 1. So that's uh I, That's it. I,
1: I would I would put Oregon number 1 right
0: now. I think I still kept Washington 1, but I see your point like they they look the best and that Now you think about it, yeah that that Stanford win over Oregon probably hurt the Pac-12 more than anything, right?
1: Yeah, because Oregon looks like it has a uh, a chance to be a contender, Um, and it would look a lot better if this was an Oregon undefeated versus one loss Washington, and then if Washington wins, then it looks a lot better. You know what I mean? So it's there is, uh, yeah, it's it's already feeling like a year where the Pac-12 is going to get really unlucky with this again.
0: The, uh, we talk about the you're getting a team in the playoff. Um, so yeah. The problem, is, I mean, the Notre Dame game uh, makes it tough. I think, so Auburn, Washington-Auburn hurts because Auburn doesn't even look like that. they're fourth in the SEC West right now. So it's like the best team in the Pac-12 lost to the fourth place team in one of the divisions of the SEC. So that's, that's not good. Uh, USC getting railed by Texas. And the, the Notre Dame game, though, because Notre Dame is actually going to be a playoff contender, they could eliminate the whole Pac twelve uh, if they beat U- uh, USC also at the end of the season. Who knows where that's going to be? But beating Stanford the way they did, I think it kind of invalidates. And if it's a uh, a twelve and one Pac twelve champion versus a twelve and zero Notre Dame, I don't think you put the twelve and zero Pac twelve champion in there because you know Notre Dame would have beaten two of the Pac twelve teams. So I think that makes it. Uh, I think that all of that makes it difficult. You, you might need a Colorado to go undefeated for the Pac-12 to make the playoff depending on how it rolls I don't know but it it doesn't seem very likely at this point Dave that the Pac-12 will make the playoff this year
1: yeah well I think the Big 12 is probably also going to be on the outside looking in just judging things right now Oklahoma already has a loss could probably pick up another one um, and there's not really another a second team that makes sense right now
0: well West Virginia Um, could right like
1: uh, I guess I'm always
0: defeated yeah I'm always
1: expecting them to kind of fall apart. But yeah, okay, West Virginia. Um, and then, so you basically have to root for some West Virginia losses. I have no idea who they have coming up. And then it's the Big Ten. You know, Can there be enough carnage there where, whatever, Michigan beats Ohio State, somebody else knocks off Michigan, like Wisconsin this weekend or whatever. And, you know, there's enough that happens there that – because I think if, if Washington ran the table from this point, um, where they finish eleven and one, completely undefeated in conference, completely unscathed, and then they beat like a I don't know ten and two Colorado or something in the in the title game. I, I, I could see them winning out over like a non uh, Big Ten winner, Ohio State that's got one loss or something like that. Yeah. like I could see that. Um, but it's gonna. It, it, I don't think the Pac twelve controls its own destiny right now.
0: No. Um, Certainly, and
1: that's not. that's the issue because Notre Dame does look too good they look like it and they don't really have that many opportunities for a loss left um USC maybe could you know they always have the talent to play up in a weird game like that um Syracuse I have no idea but uh, Notre Dame does not have too many losses left on the schedule so it's 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 already feeling a little bit dire for the Pac-12 in the playoff this year
0: yeah that Notre you know Notre Dame uh going on the road of Virginia Tech who was ranked Beat uh, the even, hell out of them. Beat the, and that, if you've seen the, I tweeted the video out this morning, like they do Inter Sandman to come in to the stadium. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Like that was pretty cool. So it was a great environment. So Notre Dame goes to there and just beats the crap out of them. Now they, they already lost to old dominion, but um, yeah, they, I, I think the Pac-12 probably needs USC to beat Notre Dame at the end of the season to help one of the other teams get into the playoff. And the ACC is like kind of a wild card too. What, uh, cause those teams just look, a lot of the teams just don't look that good. But, you know, if Clemson wins out, they're probably in. So uh, it's going to be tough. And then, you know, Georgia and Alabama don't play. They won't play until the championship game. If they're both undefeated, I mean, the loser of that championship game could easily get in. So I don't know. Um, it's not looking great for the Pac-12. I think you'd, you would need a lot of carnage and someone to just come out like smelling like roses. No pun intended to uh, to get in the playoff. We'll see. So we got to preview the games. There's only four games uh, this weekend, Dave. So I'll give you a chance. Um, overall, I'm 32-15-3 against the spread, and you are 29-18-3. So uh, I picked up an extra game on you. I'm, I'm up three games now, Dave. you gotta, you got to get the comeback going.
1: Oh, yeah. It's coming.
0: Is it coming? Okay. First game we're going to pick. Uh, this is the Friday game. We have Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> On the road, take it on. Utah Utes. Okay, this is
1: Friday at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Arizona. This is kind of a budding rivalry in this in this yeah. sport. Um, these these two fan bases don't really like each other. Um, on ESPN, Arizona traveling to Rice Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City to take on Utah. The Utes are favored right this instant by 14 points. It opened at 13 and a half. They got the extra half point. It is now a full two touchdowns. Um, So uh, that line feels weird. It feels strange because we just saw Utah um, uh, look competent offensively against a slightly better defense um, and shut down a much better offense on the road for well, not shut down. They did a pretty good job against a much better offense. They'll probably shut down a much worse offense, which Arizona's is. Um, yeah. What am I missing here? I'm taking Utah minus the 14. I'd I take Utah minus like uh, 17. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Give me Utah.
0: I would have loved the 13 and a half, but now we got the 14. But uh, I just could Arizona come in. And play better, but they, it just didn't look like they wanted that game. I think Utah's going to force a bunch of turnovers. I think they're going to play better on special teams. There's going to be like a touchdown that turns from some special teams play. And I think Tyler Huntley keeps rolling the way he'd been going. You see Zach Moss running the football. Uh, yeah, I, I think Utah's going to win this one. I feel like my pick for them to win the Pac 12 South is starting to come back alive. It was, it was, it was on life support, if not already. you know, on death doors, knocking loudly. It was, it was there. And now, you know, beating Stanford on the road like that, they make a run through the Pac-12 South. They can win. It's not easy, uh, but they could actually still win the South. So I think they kind of roll here uh, against Arizona, even though I think Arizona is playing a little bit better. um, I'm going to take Utah also.
1: Yeah. And um, uh, a point, I don't think we made strongly enough in the Arizona Cal recap, Cal was better. I mean, they, oh, they threw a ton of picks and, <laughs> and turned the ball over a bunch, but Arizona was inert. <laughs> like they were not they were not moving the football. Um and I just Utah's a very similar defense. They're very good. I just I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. I don't see Utah turning the ball over five times like Cal did.
0: No, so. and if, if Arizona fumbles five times, uh Utah's gonna recover more than one of them. Uh yes. So there's Cal is just killing themselves that they lost that game. Like there's just, they should not have lost that game, but um, we'll see. This is uh on the road. I think Utah starts to get it rolling. And uh, I think it's going to start with a fairly convincing win against Arizona. All right. This is the, uh, the marquee matchup. We got Washington Huskies on the road. And after a bye, Oregon ducks,
1: I love this because it's a twelve thirty game. That's like that's beautiful time. I think all big Pac twelve games should be on at twelve thirty. It's just so good um, on ABC uh, or ESPN two in certain markets. Uh, number seven Washington traveling to Eugene to take on number seventeen Oregon. As you said, Oregon off of a buy. Uh, Washington is a three and a half point at this very moment road favorite. Um, Oregon is. Coming off a bye, Washington is coming off of a much tougher than expected uh, game at UCLA. Ben Burkervin after the game, was talking about how winded he was in the game uh, because of the tempo UCLA was running, uh, especially in the third quarter. I, does that affect them comparatively to having to having to, uh, uh, play a very well-rested Oregon team? It's a second straight road game for Washington. Like These are not factors that you like to see. Um, uh, looking at the matchups themselves um, Oregon has been very very physical on the line of scrimmage they've been able to run the ball efficiently all year and Washington just got run on by UCLA um, which is I think it's an improving rushing offense but it's not Oregon Um, and Justin Herbert is the best quarterback that Washington will have faced this year and He has some uh, he has Dylan Mitchell to throw to, among others. Um, He's going to take what the defense gives him. And Washington typically doesn't give a whole lot, but he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Um, And Washington doesn't generate much of a pass rush. So uh, I'm I'm struggling with the Washington minus three and a half. That feels too much to me. Um, I like Oregon to win the game. Um, I I like him to. To obviously cover but I, I think I I just like them to win straight up I think Oregon takes this one and uh, takes control in the north for this season
0: 100% uh agree um yeah I like the ducks in this one it's just it's one of those things where it's set up not well for Washington now could the Huskies go in there and play much better than they played on the road against UCLA yeah I think they could and maybe they're holding a little bit back uh for this game but I I I just like the Ducks in this one. I think they're going to be, they already had one big matchup and they know they blew it. I just don't think they're going to blow this one. So getting three and a half points, Um, feel I feel really good about this pick. If there's confidence pick, this one's pretty high for me. Yep. So uh, I'm going with that one. All right. The uh, This is a battle of, uh, of California institutions. Uh, we have on one side, UCLA Bruins. And they're on the road uh strawberry cannon to play
1: california golden bears all right we talked about the staggered weekend there's no excuse not to watch every single pac-12 football game out there everybody so you've got 7 p.m friday night you got 12 30 start out on saturday then it's a 4 p.m game then we'll get to the 7 30 game but you can watch every minute of every one of these games all right so 4 p.m on the pac-12 network i mean okay you can watch every one of these games if you're <laughs> one of, like, four people nationally who has the Pac-12 network. Um, UCLA, 0-5, going on the road to take Cal, Take on Cal, 3-2. and 2. Uh, This line opened as Cal, minus 7.5. It has since moved down just a bare half point. It is Cal by an even touchdown, uh, 7 points. Um, So there's a few different ways to think about this. Uh, You can think that UCLA made some real strides this past weekend, which I believe they did. um, And now they're ready to go and, you know, get their first win against a uh, conference opponent. Anybody this year um, against a team that's worse than the team they just played very close at home. Um, The other way to think about it is kind of what I was saying earlier. It's two steps forward, one step back for UCLA. This could very well be the one step back. Cal is probably going to be pretty ornery after, uh, losing that weird one against, um, Arizona. Um, it's, it's a tough thing. I, I, I don't fully, uh, trust my opinion on this. Um, you know, I don't, I, I I don't because I'm, I'm pretty skeptical still, um, that UCLA is going to sustain a whole lot at this point. Um, I think it was, they kind of played up to it, but, um, Cal's offense is rough, and if Brandon McIlwain is playing a bunch, he could throw a bunch of picks again. Um because he it got weird at the end of that game. Like he was throwing picks where it was like, I don't know, I don't even know who you were throwing that to, bud. Like that was not that that final interception, that final pick six. It, where was that ball going? It it just wow. was kind of sailing to the sidelines. So uh I don't think California is going to be scoring a whole lot. Um and UCLA's offense is probably uh, I'll take the points I'll take UCLA plus seven don't feel great about it you could talk me out of it but I'll take UCLA
0: so my decision before I saw this I was like I'm just gonna take whatever day the opposite of what Dave takes so uh you've talked me into Cal now because you picked. that's fine
1: honestly I I think that's completely justified and will probably prove to be correct um but it's just I, I I did not love that Cal offense last week no and it's just it feels like a lot of points um, It is a
0: lot. It's, it's a lot of points. Cause it, you know, and, you know, UCLA was within seven of Washington. Um,
1: Cal, Cal's won like every one of their games this year by like three to seven points. Yeah. Except for Idaho State. Like they they let BYU back into the game. They let UNC back into the game to win by seven. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take UCLA. I feel fine about it.
0: Yeah. And I I just wanted to do something different. So I'll pick Cal, but I I could see either way. um, You know, this could be UCLA's first win. So uh, we'll see how this one ends up playing out and how, I think a lot is going to be how Justin Wilcox and he just looks so upset uh, and you have to be after that game. So do they come back and they just put it together at home and play a really sound game and, and, you know, maybe make a UCLA team that looks resurgent not look as good because Cal just played, you know, way better than what we've seen in the past couple of weeks. We'll see. I, I don't know. But it, I think it'll be interesting either way um, to see how these teams, both these teams kind of bounce back because it's not like either one's in a great place right now. But, yep. uh, yeah, I'll take Cal, see what, uh, see what happens there. All right. And then the last game, only three games. Kind of crazy. The, the undefeated
1: Colorado Buffalo.
0: hit the road to take another team that was off a bye
1: USC Trojans So 7:30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1 number 19 Colorado 5 and 0 going at USC USC is favored by a full touchdown in this game um we were talking before the before this podcast and we were both like uh oh, this feels like the we were like ah oh, this feels kind of like the game where USC just wins it by like 17 points And I still don't fully discount that idea, um, but I I, I have a hard time picking USC. (laughs) I just do. Um, Like Colorado, look, LaVisca Chenault and Steven Montez, they have an obvious connection this year. They're finding each other. I think USC's defense is pretty damn good. Um, Are they good enough to completely shut down that connection? I don't think anybody is. Um, Lots of... Defenses have tried this year. Nobody has really even slowed it down. So I think they're going to get theirs on offense. And then it's a question of whether they can disrupt JT Daniels enough, um, make it enough of a struggle fest for that offense, um, for the rushing attack. I don't know if they're going to do a whole lot on that side of the, uh, uh, I, I think USC, I think they should be able to move the ball coming off a of bye week where they've worked on some stuff. Maybe their offense is a little bit better. Um, but even still, I'll take Colorado plus the seven. Um, I, I think it'll be a closer game. I don't know if I like the Buffs to win, but uh, I think I like them to cover the
0: seven. If you're new to the podcast, I do not pick USC to cover spreads. So uh, they are one in uh, one and four on the season, and that's only because Arizona missed an extra point. Um, otherwise, they'd be 0 and 5. So, yeah, Colorado plus seven. I, I feel like they're playing really well that, you know, McMillan run the ball; he's great. The you know I, he runs with power from uh, the transfer from Virginia Tech. Chenault, you could argue is the best player in the conference, and and Steven Montez, super accurate passer, and just been playing really well. And, you know, I saw Arizona State throw a lot at him last weekend, and uh, they 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 just persevered and and came through. So I, I like what Colorado's doing right now. I'm not sure if uh, they're going to win the game, but I feel like it's going to be close either way. And uh, so I'll take Colorado plus the seven.
1: Cool. All right. So we disagreed on what? UCLA Cal and that's it?
0: Yeah, that was the the only one. Well, I mean, it's just like I wanted to disagree a little bit more, but, um, you know, I, I I just think Utah's going to – I feel like Utah's going to make a run, so it's hard to go against them even though it's 14 points. Um, and then, you know, you got to go Oregon getting more than a field goal at home, like off a bye. Like, come on. Like, I, that just feels like – that just feels like one of those ones that get wrong, you know. That's why our numbers – are so much better than 500 because there's just going to be a a game or two where they don't really realize what's going on. I think that's one of them. Um, But yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, fun week in the Pac-12. We got some questions to get to.
0: We do. Um, Um, Let's
1: see where we start. Is it
0: Devin? Is that the first one?
1: Yeah, I think it's Devin House. Nice. All right, you want
0: me to do it? Uh, Sure, if you want to do that, that's fine.
1: All right, this is from Devin. Uh, Devin from Tacoma. Go dogs! Hey, Ryan and Dave, love the show. I'm a big time Husky fan, and I have loved beating up on Washington State and Oregon the last couple years. However, I can't help but think both of their coaches could be upgrades over Helton. Who do you think would be the top five realistic replacements USC could get inside the Pac-12? My list: one, Mario Cristobal; two, Jimmy Lake, the UW DC three, Mike Leach, four, Whittingham, five, McIntyre, and honorable mention, Herm Edwards.
0: Nice. Uh
1: (laughs) Interesting. I don't know if I consider even like three of those realistic at all.
0: No. uh, I mean, it's so hard to talk about this because you could say what's real or you could say what would be realistic you can say what um they should do you could say what they will do and they're usually all different things
1: no way USC would ever hire Mike leach no ever ever um I can't see uh Cristobal passing the smell test for anybody um after just one year at Oregon yeah. like I, I and I'm first talking about from like a USC filter standpoint like they would filter out uh Cristobal lake and leach immediately I would think yes um Whittingham, I think would be second or third tier where they would and this is from the USC perspective um and then McIntyre I don't know what's the thinking on him
0: probably I think not. he's good yeah but. I know I think they're yeah but the, any of those guys know the fight song already if not um, <laughs> So I mean it's yeah, these are just it's it's hard to really talk about first of all they have a coach right now and he I mean people there's USC fans that are on our message board saying USC should be 0 and five right now. It's like, no, they, like I, I get it that they don't like the way the coaching has been going. Um, but this is a team that has a lot of advantages and they could sleepwalk to a PAC 12 South championship. Like that's just the reality. Like the way the competition set up and the way the talent that they have is that they could do so many things wrong and still win the, the, the division. So there's a lot of SC fans that hate that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know because we don't ever hear from Lin Swan. He's never done this before. So it's just really hard to to call something like this. Uh, I I just don't know. Like, I get all the speculation all the time. I'm not sure, Devin. I'm sorry.
1: The one Pac-12 coach, then, who makes sense is Justin Wilcox. Obviously. He knows the fights.
0: Yes. And he was fired by Clay Helton. So maybe they get revenge.
1: Justin Wilcox. All right. So if your list doesn't start, you're outside the Pac-12 list starts with Jack Del Rio and you're inside the Pac-12 list starts with Justin Wilcox. There you go. It'll be one of those two USC fans. Get your, get your season tickets bought. It's going to be great.
0: Nice. Uh, okay. We got a text question. I know it's a scheduling nightmare, but right around the two hour, 15 minute mark, (laughs) I had a stroke of genius. You guys should do two shows per week during the season, a recap show and a preview show. Keep them down to one hour each. This way, Dave's already low gives-a-fuck passion bucket has some time to refill.
1: Um, Uh, So the issue with that... So we did that the first year that we did this? Might have been the first couple Uh,
0: or something, yeah.
1: Maybe the first two seasons we tried to do two shows a week um, and that was fun. Uh, It is a scheduling nightmare and Ryan does like 15 different podcasts now every week. So it's it's a bit of a scheduling issue for me as well. Um, And... We never kept these to just an hour each, ever. Not in the history of the show <laughs> have we ever kept these consistently to one hour. It would just end up being two two-hour shows every single week.
0: Right. So uh, great great idea. Maybe at some point, but we we can't. It's not really feasible now. I could just edit into two shows or something, but it wouldn't be. It, at this point, it's just like we just put it all up. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah. But thank you for the text.
1: Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. This is from Scott. Hey, Ryan and Dave, keep up the great work. Sorry for all the questions. I'll try to keep it short since I'm sure you're losing steam by now, right? You are Uh one. Do you think the perception, uh, parentheses, parentheses reality that the PAC 12 is the worst conference, slim chance of ever making the playoffs, very poor media exposure, and an F commissioner steer top tier recruits away an example to attack of Viola. In the past, a guy from Hawaii often stays on the West Coast. I get it's Bama, but still. So that situation was odd because that he wanted to go to Oregon. Yeah. And then the staff basically was like, nah, we're going to slow play you. And then he ended up blowing up and uh, getting on Bama's radar. But if if he'd had his druthers, he would have been committed to Oregon from the time he was like a sophomore in high school. And like I- he was... He was following in Marcus Mariota's footsteps, and he wanted to follow him literally to Oregon.
0: Yeah, it was funny. I was talking about him on our, we do a live, like a Facebook live show and stuff, and uh, people were saying, and I had mentioned, he wasn't all that impressive to me the first couple of times I saw him, and then people are giving me crap, like, he won a state title. I'm like, yeah, he did, but in 2015, so I went back and looked at my stuff, 2015 He came out to the LA Nike camp. You might've been there.
1: Yeah. He didn't wow me either. He was fine. He was good, but he was not a wow guy.
0: No, he that was, so that was 2015 and he's a 2017 kid. So this was a couple years before. And then he actually came to the USC rising stars camp, which is like their big camp and wasn't that impressive either. My wife and I ended up taking a trip to Hawaii for like a long weekend. We went to the North shore um, in August, like right at the end of camp and, USC had Jordan Iasefa, who's a linebacker of 2016, that was a commit at St. Louis High School in Honolulu. And then Tuo is there. And so I was like, hey, honey, do you mind if we stop by the high school on our way to the North Shore? And she was cool. We got some like pokey or something. that we went over to the high school and got to see him. And I put I I went back and read what I wrote about. Him. I'm like, he was much more impressive when I saw him there than he was the, the other two camps I saw earlier in the year. And I interviewed him there and stuff. And then when we saw him at the Elite 11, he was a lot better. So I think the two years, when we started to see him on the radar, he wasn't as impressive, but then got a lot better, you know, at the opening and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't think something like that where the Pac-12, that wasn't a perception of the Pac-12 is why he didn't end up at at Oregon. And I think if you're a West Coast player, the majority, you're going to probably stay out here. Unless, you know, some school from, you know, like Alabama or someone comes in and and cherry picks you away, Uh, you know, uh, Najee Harris and stuff like that, like stuff like that's going to happen. I don't think it's because of the perception of the Pac-12, though.
1: No. All right. Uh, Two, true or false? Leach wins a Pac-12 title at Wazoo before he retires.
0: Very good question. Um, I'm going to go false because he was very close to leaving already i think he can but i'm just not sure maybe maybe him being close to leaving last year ensures he's going to stay around for another decade if i knew that i'd say true but i'm not sure he will so i'm going to say false
1: i would say tennessee nearly rioting um over all those different coaching hires i think that stink might stay on Leach, even though he was not the one they were necessarily rioting against um, so I don't know that he's going to have many opportunities. That was the first one he'd had in a while.
0: That's so true. That's a good point.
1: I say true. Okay. And it, I wouldn't even be stunned if it happened this year. Um, they're good. So no, they, um, and he
0: I, literally could this year. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, I'll say true three has Larry Scott ruined the conference to the point. We won't be able to fix things and catch up when they rightfully move on from him. Oh, come on. No, 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 no,
0: no. You can fix things.
1: Yeah, no, it's just he's 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 probably mismanaged the TV deal and some other stuff. But no, it's it's not that dire. It's not, you know, we're not going to be underwater Uh, Four, Dave. Looking beyond the fact that it's his first year and has a depleted roster, does Chip have what he needs around him to turn around? I think there's been a misspelling here. Fuckla, I think he I think he means <laughs> UCLA because uh, that's where Chip is coaching currently. Um, assistant coaches support of school fans, fan, uh, facility investments, etc. Yeah, he's got all that. There's uh, no real off field excuse at this point for UCLA. They've got a nice new facility. They've got plenty of money. Um, they've got plenty of donor support. There's there's every little piece of that is needed is that's needed is there. Um, now it's just about. Recruiting and uh, and playing football. And uh, all that off-field stuff, is that's a thing of the past for UCLA. The money is there now. The facilities are there. The support is there. They've got all the meals and all that training table stuff. It's all fully in place, and now it's just a matter of winning. Um, and then five, Ryan, after watching a few U... He's got a dollar sign there. I think it's just his S-key is broken again. Uh, <laughs> after watching a few USC games this year... I now get why fans want his next performance review to be held at the nearest tarmac. Most USC post USC. Is he a qualified head coach to another school or would he be better as a coordinator?
0: Uh, I mean, at the time USC hired him, there probably wasn't a program in the top 50 that would have hired him. So I I don't know. I mean, he did some good things though. Like if you're uh, a school that's at you know, a group of five school, you could say, hey, this was USC's former head coach. He won a Rose Bowl. He won the Pac-12 championship. Like, I think you could sell that. So I think what he did at USC probably helped him a little bit more. Uh, I'm not going to say like qualified or not, but as far as getting hired, yeah. But I, my guess would be he goes back to being an offensive coordinator, but who knows? I mean, I think he's done enough on his resume that even USC fans don't care for, but he's done enough where if you're you know, Memphis was a place he was before. Like if you're in Memphis, I'm not saying anyone, I'm just saying like a program like that. You're like, hey, this guy won a Rose Bowl. You know, like you could sell that to your your boosters and stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: all right, let's see. Um, I think we had, oh, we had a text message. Texas, Oklahoma on un- oh, the, okay. So we got a text message about that story. The, uh, did you see that they did it on game yeah. day too? Oh yeah. It was really funny. It was really funny. So the, the, uh, Mike Leach basically coming up with a fake play script in 1999 when Oklahoma was a huge underdog to Texas and, uh, you know, the whole ruse, whole, you know, oceans 11 sort of thing. And, uh, you know, and, and Tom Herman was one of the GAs on that staff and they all believed it. And Oklahoma goes up 17-0 because they're buying. And it wasn't just a script that was like, it was a, a script that completely complemented what they were going to do, having Texas defend the exact opposite. And it worked really well. So it was a great little piece they put on uh, game day. And there's a story on ESPN if you guys want to check it out. Um, we also had John in the Bay Area on leaving the Pac-12. Ryan and Beard guy. If you had to choose another FBS team outside of the Pac-12 to cover as a reporter, which would it be? Please consider the travel-slash-locations of the team's away conference schedule and assume you have to move to the school's regional footprint. Mm. Uh, oh, so oh, So, for instance, if you chose Georgia Tech and the ACC, you would get to travel to Miami and Boston for away games. However, you might need to live in an undesirable location. Like, <laughs> what is it, the Perlius of Atlanta purlieus Purlieus. Like the, the area,
1: the area, uh, kind of around the thing.
0: Like the the purl of Atlanta. Thanks, John, in the Bay Area.
1: He he stuttered before that because he knew he was dropping a big word, right? So that's why he, he put, throws, like he throws the in twice. The, the the and then he's <laughs> like, you know what, I'm gonna do it right here, but I gotta prep myself, purlieus. and then he throws in Purlieus. Um, it's really hard to pronounce. I don't like it. It's not a good word. Purlieus. Um, All right, cool. Okay, so if I'm understanding this, where would we move? To cover another FBS team, um, considering they might have to travel to a bunch of weird away games.
0: Okay. So you'd have to Um, live there. You'd want to, and you'd have to live in that area.
1: Right. I would probably have to go SEC because I already live here. And not just because that, but I also think if you're not in the Pac 12, things get weird. Like if you're in the Big 10, you've got to go as far as what do you have to do? You have to do Nebraska and all the way to Rutgers. Yeah. Um, but if you're in the SEC, I mean, the farthest west you're going is what? Texas A&M or is it Missouri? I don't know which one's further west. Uh,
0: Yeah, I think it's close.
1: It's basically the same. And the farthest east you're going is Florida, right? Yeah. Columbia now, might be. The ACC, uh,
0: you can go from like the northeast to Miami. Um, You can kind of go all over the place. That's a pretty big stretch for the ACC, right?
1: Yeah, and I'm sure if somebody else is going to do the math and be like, "You guys are dummies," uh, but <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like the SEC would be the calmest. I, I would I would take the SEC. Uh,
0: but which like is there a pro or is it you have to pick the team though? So like I hire. Oh, it'd be
1: it'd be fun to cover like LSU. I think that'd be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and that's like so you're closer to New Orleans and stuff. Like I I would still would need like a city, you know, um, like even like Auburn because you could live in Atlanta. Um, or,
1: or Georgia then, or Georgia you live in
0: Atlanta, uh, or Georgia tech. Like all the, like you could do all those. Like, uh, I hired like Dan Wikey, who's, uh, with the LA times. Now I hired him back, you know, several years ago and he was covering old miss and he was like, dude, there's not even like a Best Buy. I can't even buy like, you know, music and stuff. Um, at the time when you needed to do that at a store, but they, uh, yeah. So like there's certain places I just couldn't live like in the middle of nowhere, uh, like I could cover BC Boston college and that'd be near my family and stuff. Uh, and then you still travel around the but that's a lot of travel, like going from Boston all over, uh, ACC country. Um, I got like relatives in like Pittsburgh. I could do that maybe. Uh, and then still get some cool trips, but I, I kind of want to be near the coast and I need to be near a city. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. I go to New Orleans, Miami, I'm New to, Orleans. Okay. I'll go to New Orleans and commute to Baton Rouge to cover LSU. All
0: right. I like that. Thanks, John.
1: All right. And then uh, that was an email back from Andrew. And then uh, we got Rusty Fence. You ready for this? Sure. Howdy, boys. All right. So this is no more yammering about yam and question of the fan base. So number one, he says thank you and basically says uh, Mike Yam has improved his his interviewing style since he asked us about it. Um, He doesn't know whether it's attributable to us or to just Yam improving, but he thanks us.
0: It's definitely us. Definitely, it's
1: definitely us. No, yams. Yams is a, a long time listener. <laughs> I think my, I think he's always done a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, That's I like him.
1: Yeah. Uh, two, his question this week. You mentioned two schools that always rank at the top of nearly everyone's list of having the rudest, crudest fans. I won't inflame the cavemen at those schools by explicitly mentioning those schools here, but instead. We'll flip the question and ask you to state which in-stadium fan base seems to be the most elevated. By, quote, elevated, I mean the type of fan base that more or less can objectively recognize the strengths and weaknesses of their team, and which is not averse to standing up and applauding when the visiting team does something special or brilliant. Based upon my attendance of multiple games at every school except for Colorado and, and Oregon State, my rankings are as follows. And he says, one, Stanford, two, Cal and Washington, uh, and Washington being a close second, three, Utah being a close third, four, Arizona and UCLA, five, USC and ASU, Washington State and Oregon, no comment, no ranking, Oregon State and Colorado. I have theories based upon demographics, which I feel explain my rankings, but since those theories are likely to inflame some of your loyal listeners, I will share those theories only during the offseason when your advertising revenues are down (laughs) and you don't have as much pressure to keep all fans happy, your pal, Rusty. Um, I disagree. Right off the bat, I would say Washington is number one and the clear number one. If you're looking for a fan base that is most like a Big Ten fan base, and if you've ever been to a Big Ten game, um, one thing that stands out is the like, the weird classy things that happen in the Midwest where they like play the opposing team's fight song before the game and all that kind of weird stuff. Yeah. Washington is the one where it feels most like that. Um, and when you talk to Washington fans, yeah, there's probably, you know, they, they elevate the Dom James era. Um, but it should be elevated. It was a really good era. Um, but I think Washington is pretty much takes things as they are. The, the fact that so many Washington fans, um, Eight. their quarterback situation right now, I think is, um, interesting. And I think speaks to some rationality. Um, I'd say Stanford's up there too. I mean, if you've, if you've met any of their fans, I haven't, I, I don't know if they exist. Um, but I'm sure they're rational if you do meet them. Um, yeah, I I I would that,
0: have ca- yeah that's yeah,
1: good. Go ahead. No, oh, no, you're, you go.
0: No, no, I think, I think you're right. I think Washington would be the one that stands out. The, I wouldn't put the Oregon schools up there. Um, I, I don't think I'd put Washington State up there. Definitely uh, not.
1: Definitely not for the Oregon's or Washington State. Um, I yeah. wouldn't have Cal up there actually, because no, I remember well the early Tedford years when Cal suddenly thought they were going to win national titles every year, um, and the fan base got super, super cocky. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know about Cal.
0: Cal probably not. Um, ASU could be i wouldn't put the la schools in there either because there's you know i guess we see the two of them play each other that can be nasty but um ASU
1: ucla fans are now irrational on the opposite end like <laughs> the, the, everything is the worst possible thing it could be they're they are they have been fully charlie brown over the last like 20 years
0: <laughs> um asu if you remember like there's more of a professional feel to that um and it can be, you know, it can be pretty tough there, but it's, there's a lot of drinking there. I mean, you're out on mill Ave and everything. Uh, but that feels more profe- like more of an NFL kind of thing than, uh, so I don't know. I don't know if I would put them up there. What What do you think? Utah, I think I'd put up there. I
1: think um, Utah's pretty good. I think, I think the top three for me, and I haven't dealt as much with Colorado fans, so I would probably not comment on that one either um but i would say washington stanford and utah would be my top three in some order i'd have washington first and then utah and stanford would be in the top three and then after that everyone's some degree of irrational
0: yeah all right i think that's i think that's all fair um let's see that was okay we got earl and west la let's do that I've heard someone mention that all these late-night television games adversely impact recruiting. I believe most recruits in the conference come from the West, so that should not be an issue. No question the late-night telecast impacted uh, what should have been a Heisman Trophy campaign for Christian McCaffrey. As such, I can make the correlation to reduced exposure with East Coast recruits uh, as these kids are not bleary-eyed David Woods watching football at 2 a.m., Gentlemen, my question to you is: Do many late night games in the East impair the conference's ability to recruit nationally? Thank you, Earl and West LA. I do not believe so. Uh, I'll just give my thoughts real quick. Uh, There's not a lot of national recruiting teams, and you, Stanford, would be one of them. But uh, I don't think the kids, you know, Stanford's recruiting is going to be worried about that the game is on uh, at 11 p.m. Eastern. So, no, I, I don't think it really has that much of an impact. I think the other stuff for sure. But it doesn't matter that some New York-based uh, sports writer doesn't get to watch as opposed to a 17-year-old kid.
1: Yeah, it's. I don't think it has anything to do with whether or not you can watch the games. I think it's just more, are guys going to be willing to leave home and go that far away? And that's a decision they're going to make regardless of whether or not you're being watched on TV. Yeah. Um, all right, you ready for Daniels? Yes. Cross-state California rivalries. Hey, Ryan and Dave. What is your guys' impression of the California cross-state rivalries or maybe lack thereof? For example, USC versus Stanford, Cal versus UCLA. It seems to me that USC has had a cross-state rivalry with both Bay Area schools. The height of the Cal-USC rivalry was the mid-2000s, the age of Aaron Rodgers, Matt Leinart, uh, Reggie Bush, and Marshawn Lynch. While the height or maybe start of the USC-Stanford rivalry happened when Jim Harbaugh turned the third into a powerhouse while beefing with Pete Carroll. What's your deal? Thoughts, Ryan?
0: Um, so as far as like, I mean, I, I like the rivalries. I think it's important. You know, that's why when we talked about maybe switching the divisions and having all the California schools be in the same division. And I know that's, you know, causing a lot of controversy and people don't want it, but uh, that's, that's one of the things when I, you know, remember going to school, it was always, it was a great tradition to have a weekend trip to San Francisco, to the Bay area to play Cal or Stanford. So I, I love those. I mean, I think it's a, Uh, It's a great thing and they've all had different, you know, sometimes teams are terrible and sometimes they're really good. You know, right now, Cal hasn't beat USC in like 15 years. UCLA hasn't beat Stanford in like eight or 10 or something. I mean, there's, there's stretches that are go, but there's been some really cool back and forth stuff. And when you get a really good coach, like when Jim Harbaugh was there, it just creates something different, you know, and to have Stanford be good or Cal be good. I mean, there's, there's just, it adds a different element to the conference. So I, I like all that stuff.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and then he asks what seems more unclear to me is the nature of UCLA's rivalry with the Bay various schools if they exist at all. As a lifelong Cal fan, I get mixed signals. Some Cal fans, especially old-timers it seems, feel a rivalry with UCLA on the grounds that we both represent the UC system and as the relative newcomers, LA stole our fight songs, mascot and colors. Others such as myself feel a sense of camaraderie with UCLA because of this. David, how do you feel how, uh, how do you think the UCLA fan base feels about Cal and is there or has there ever been a UCLA Stanford Rivalry. Um, I, I would say that same feeling from the Cal angle is probably the same feeling on the UCLA side. I think there are some people who very much feel it and feel that it's a real rivalry, generally the older uh, fans. And I I never felt like that when I was a student. That never felt like a rivalry. Um, they were fun games. And it was, you know, it was always fun when Cal came to town. It was always fun going up to. Uh, Berkeley to watch the games up there Um, but it never really felt like it was you know it never felt anything close to UCLA USC Um, maybe a little bit more significance than like UCLA Oregon or something like that but not nothing too major and then UCLA Stanford back in the day had a rivalry and then um, of late uh, Stanford has just beaten the absolute piss out of UCLA basically every time they've played for the last 10 years. So not much of a rivalry now. Is it, um, is
0: it 10 in a row now? Or is it like, it's like eight or something. It's, right?
1: it's something like that. It's something stupid. Um, well, cause they lost twice in the single year with Jim Mora. Okay. So they lost. I think they've lost. They won once under new Heisel. I want to say. And then I think they lost their last two years under new Heisel or last one year under new Heisel. So it's at least eight. Might be nine, so it's not great. Um, but they've lost a bunch. But if you go back to the back in the day, they were early rivals back in like the fifties. Um, and Stanford, I think, I, I don't know, somebody who's a UCLA historian will have to walk you through it. But Stanford reported UCLA for violations at some point, which kept UCLA from a Rose Bowl in I think fifty five or fifty three or fifty four. I don't know. There, there was some weird stuff, um, and I think that probably causes some resentment for. Uh, some of the older fans but i don't know if there's anything real today
0: all right uh yeah that's i mean i love all the the interaction there and yeah when i first came out you know i wasn't from california so to go to like a ucla game usc and ucla and then hear the same fight song that i heard earlier in the year against cal was kind of interesting like what's going on there so there's you know there's that neat connection there and uh i don't know yeah we'll see I've been actually like when I was living in the Bay Area, I went to a Cal UCLA game at uh, you know at Cal in Berkeley, um, and it was definitely weird, you know, to see that with the, the the both teams playing the same song and stuff. It was kind of interesting. Yep. Let's see. Hit the day says the adventures of Pete and Pete. This should be interesting. Uh, I'd like to explore the an idea that David has expressed previously. It's Chris Peterson's Washington not built to defeat talented teams. His record in Seattle lends some support. The only Power 5 schools he's beaten out of conference are Illinois and Rutgers. He's lost every decent non-con game, Oklahoma State, Penn State, Alabama, Auburn, and amusingly, uh, Boise State. He's 1-1 against USC, having dodged them three times in five years, 2-2 against Oregon, and and 1-3 against Stanford. That adds up, to only four wins in 14 games against teams with top 20 talent. And two of those wins are over Willie Taggart without Justin Herbert and Steve Sarkeesian's drunken uh, and Steve Sarkeesian's drunken swan song. What do you boys think of the theory that Peterson is uh, consistent, uh, uh, commendedly consistent at mopping up inferior opponents, but when he doesn't have a talent advantage and teams aren't underestimating him, he hasn't measured up to the quote-unquote elite coach label. You-
1: mm. inflammatory stuff from our resident Oregon fan here i, I think i'm going to um, switch
0: my pick to i'm going to take washington now <laughs> just for you head today uh,
1: i so i i completely um get what you're saying um i want to see it when he's not starting jake browning and i don't mean to keep belaboring the point with um with browning but his arm isn't really built to beat um top teams with athletic defenses with you know, really athletic corners playing in press coverage and he has to throw a ball into a tight window on a line. He's just not built for that. Um, they've got a bunch of quarterbacks red shirting or, you know, who transferred in um, who might have that ability. And I want to see what this looks like without that. Now, that said. I don't know. I I have some questions about this offensive scheme. Um, It's something that UCLA seems to be going to, too, which is kind of a multi-look. We're going to try to do a little bit of everything. We're just going to try to be good and balanced and do a lot of different stuff. And I think you can do that if you're Alabama. I think you can do it if you're recruiting at a top five or top ten level. I don't know if you can consistently do that and churn out elite enough offenses if you're recruiting at a top 25 level. Um, and Washington is now in that top 25, top 20 level, and they're turning out good offenses. You know, this this year, they're, I think, top 25 in S P plus. But I don't know if they're going to be able to break through in an elite level if they don't start picking something that they're just going to do really well. Um, I think teams that don't have a huge talent advantage, they need to come up with something that's going to be their offensive identity. Um, I don't think Washington really has one. Um, I, I think they They're they're trying to be kind of a pro style, multi look offense. Um, And I think when you match up against teams that do have that athletic advantage and they're, you know, like an Alabama, for example, where they're doing the same thing, but they just have better players across the board. um, You're putting a lot on you as a coach to be just a perfect play caller. Um, But I, I, I think. Their identity offensively, I don't know if it's if it's well equipped with uh, with the talent that they're going to get there to necessarily win those huge games. I think they can, and I think they're they're built to to win the Pac-12. Like they are, they are able to do that. All they have to do is basically, you know, they're recruiting at a what top three or top four level in the Pac-12, depending on what Oregon and UCLA are doing on any given year. Um, so they're, they're up there in the pac 12 and they can win the pac 12 consistently because they've got the, probably the best coach in the league. But when you start looking at it as, um, as a national competition, I just don't know if this is, if this is the right makeup offensively.
0: Hithliday, he's an elite coach. So he's an elite coach. Your email convinced me more that he's an elite coach than anything else. So he's, that's that's wishful thinking to say, well, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. Yes, he's an elite coach. Watch, watch what this team's able to do over the next couple of years. Uh, I think Oregon's going to be really good too, but I'm not going to knock Chris Peterson and not say he's an elite coach. I 100% believe he is.
1: Yeah, I was basically using that opportunity to, to derp on UCLA's <laughs> decision to go with a similar offense. <laughs> uh, Way to go. <laughs> all right, uh, this is Justin from the OC. Uh, parody is this season what Larry Scott and his Reich wanted all along. They've said they wanted parody. Oh, parody. Oh, okay. It's P A R I T Y. Okay. That's where we are on this.
0: He went weird out right? parody, right? Like, he went,
1: he went parody. Like we're making a funny song with the, with different lyrics, okay. same tune. which yeah. is good too. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I was like, wow, they want this? Uh, they've said they wanted parody above all else, and that's what we have. Utterly interchangeable mediocrity. If so, are they happy or are they aware now? It's a be careful what you wish for situation. Also, my five-year-old insists on listening to you guys on the way to school, so if you could give a shout-out to Wyatt, I'd appreciate it. Shout-out, Wyatt.
0: What's up, Wyatt? How you doing? Five years. So going to kindergarten, huh? All right. do uh, Do some extra good cutting of construction paper for us today, Wyatt.
1: And he says, love the podcast, even with a lazy ruin on it. Oh. Uh, I, I think you might have misspelled your name, Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> I am kind of lazy, so yes. Yeah. It's Ryan, uh, R-Y-A-N. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, this is parody. Um, I think the Pac-12 is actually better than it was last year, but the problem is it's, it's better in a really weird way where it's just like kind of a lot of average to above average teams and not as many terrible teams. I feel like that's probably right, but it's not great. And uh, it is kind of similar. Like it's, I don't know, a top tier of, I guess, Washington and Oregon by themselves and then just kind of everybody else and then UCLA and Oregon State at the bottom.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the, I think the problem is he does one parody. You're seeing a bunch of it, but the, everyone else is advancing towards get an elite team into the playoff. And the Pac-12 is not doing that. And I I feel like unless something crazy happens, they're not going to get one in this year. And you might have a couple of really good teams, you know, but we don't know. Like, is Colorado going to be an elite team? They could be. You know, Oregon could be. Uh, Washington could be. Um, But, you know, two of those three already have a loss. So I I don't know. I I think when asked this, I think you wouldn't get the same kind of answer that Larry Scott gave. Um, And I think it's probably not going to change until – you miss the playoff a couple more years in a row, and then it's like, hey, this you're 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 out of the national picture uh by the time September's over. Hey, Larry Scott, you got to change something here, and maybe they'll they'll change. But the problem is, you've already ta- you've seen the SEC game the system forever. Getting one, t- you know, getting, getting Alabama in every year wasn't enough. Now they're going to probably get Georgia in every year, right? So there's like. Now there's just less seats at the table, and if the Pac-12 starts to try to catch up a year or two from now, you're nowhere near where you got to be. So, yeah, I think parity's really been hurting. I mean, is it fair to Washington to go on – Hithloday's going to love this – but the, you know, they have two road games in a row, and you're going to get Oregon, your chief rival, off a of bye week. Like, I don't think the, – the, Alabama would never have to do that. So not saying that that's going to – stop anyone from making the playoff, but it doesn't help. And and the SEC knows that, so they would never put Alabama in that situation. If that happened one year out of ten, um, and one, one year Alabama didn't make the playoff because of some schedule snafu, that would not fly with the SEC. This happens year after year in the Pac-12. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right, let me read next. Okay. It's, I, I like to rapid-fire these. Yeah, you, do, right. you can do it. Hi, this is Nick from Cy- Cypress, aka Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Shout out to Censor Twins Ryan Abraham and David Woods. Also to female dog boy Bruin Brian. Rundown UW 31 versus UCLA 24. This was a good game. Given gives UV. I, I think that actually might just be a typo. Yeah, I don't know what UVL could be. Gives UCLA some hope that they can get a few Pac-12 wins. I don't. No about bowl eligible but some wins. UW is still holding out hope for one Pac-12 team in the playoffs. Utah forty versus Stanford 21. With Utah's Pac-12 South title hopes in the balance in this game, they went to the farm and beat the Cardinal. Great pick six by Jay Johnson. Stanford laid an egg and probably killed their chance to go to the playoffs, in my opinion. I agree. ASU 21 versus Colorado 28. Well, Buffalo's hold off the Sun Devils, though I thought there were some non-targeting calls in this game, especially with Nikhil Harry. ASU has to come back and win some games, so the Herm Express dies before it got started. Colorado has a big game next week in the Coliseum. Washington State 56 versus Oregon State, a.k.a. Garbage 37. Washington State, QB is really good with Mike Leach as a coach. Oregon State is garbage. I don't see that changing. I hope Jay Jefferson leaves for a winner. He deserves better. Wow, brutal. Uh, Cal 17 versus Arizona 24. Late pick six. Sealed the deal for the Wildcats. Where does Cal go from here on a two-game losing streak? U of A is still alive for a bowl game and even repping the Pac-12 South. Preview. Utah over Arizona. Cal over UCLA. UW over Oregon. USC over Colorado. Question. Question for David. Why can't – he says it again, UVLA. So I don't I'm know wondering what, if that is a thing. Like if Uv- you guys know what UVLA could possibly mean, please let me know. UVLA uh, or
0: something? I don't, I don't I
1: don't know. Why can't UVLA, UCLA, get a stadium closer to campus instead of playing in the Rose Bowl but not Rose Bowl games like USC? Um, great question. Lack of institutional buy-in, lack of community buy-in when the issue was um, – On the table back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and uh, then they never really pursued it again after, I think, uh, some sort of student body vote in the 80s. But
0: They did that in the 80s?
1: Yeah, I think it was the early 80s, maybe late 70s. I can't remember exactly which, um, but uh, I still think they should do it. I still think they should pursue it. I don't know if it's realistic, but I don't really know what the legal thing is. I don't know why there's this whole thing—the Westwood Homeowners Association or whatever, would, or Beverly Hills or whatever. I, I, what kind of role can they play in blocking a stadium on a that's in the middle of a campus? Like, if they wanted to turn Drake Stadium into like a fifty thousand seat stadium who's going to stop them? I don't, uh, whatever. Um, I, I'm sure there's probably some good legal reasons why they couldn't do it. Um, but I would still like them to try at some point again, because I think it's a big advantage and I think it would be really cool.
0: I think it'd be great. It's just, it's just tough with the, the way everything's built up. I mean, the fact that LA, the LA area was able to build in the twenties to like 90,000, whatever seat stadiums in the Rose bowl and the Coliseum Within a couple of years of each other, when like that was like the population of the city at the time, um, it's insane what they were able to get done uh, back then and, and build these two. You know, where one is hosted the first Super Bowl and the World Series and all kinds of stuff, and then in the, the Rose Bowl being the Granddaddy Mall and all that. You know, I mean, it's amazing what what happened way back then. I think if you just, but it takes a lot. I mean, how long did it take for you know the NFL to come back and to for a you know multi billionaire to come in and and buy a bunch of property and start building a, a $3 billion stadium. Like it's not easy to do that kind of stuff. And to try to do it where you're shoehorning it in, you're shoehorning it in to, you know, a super cramped Westwood where parking sucks. And I mean, how would you park for a stadium like that I like, that, that would be pretty tough.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So maybe um, that's why, but I don't know, but I, I think it'd be great. I'd be awesome to have like more of a, a close experience. And maybe you do some bigger games at the Rose bowl, but you had a smaller stadium, or somewhat smaller stadium like on campus that you could play the home games at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's rapid fire these. I gotta, we gotta get moving. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, true or false. Hey Ryan and Dave, let's play another game of true or false. UCLA's moral victory against UW is more of a win for UCLA than dollar sign. UC UC's (laughs) actual wins against Arizona and Wazoo. False. False. What the Wazoo win was big. I'm not going to say Arizona was, but Washington state we think could win the, the, uh, North. Dollar sign UC firing a coach that won a Rose Bowl and a Pac twelve in his first two seasons will totally make that an attractive job to brand name coaches out there.
1: False, but disingenuous. Yeah, um, far- it doesn't matter.
0: No, it doesn't matter because it's still the job. It's still a job. Like it's still it doesn't that won't impact uh, anybody. Like if Chip Kelly saw, oh, they fired. Like if, they, if Chip Kelly felt like they fired Jim Mora after he did some good things, do you think he would have cared?
1: No, no. I, they they fired him specifically so they could talk to Chip Kelly. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't care.
0: <laughs> yeah, whisper voice. They, fi-
1: they fired my dude on his birthday. <laughs> it was my birthday. It was both of our birthdays. <laughs> no, they don't care. Nobody cares. No,
0: It's like, you want the UCLA jobs? You go. It doesn't matter what happened before. Okay, so this yeah. is supposed to be whisper voice. The Pac-12 is aggressively mediocre, and there probably isn't a top 15 team in the conference.
1: Let's see how Oregon does this weekend.
0: False. Yeah, I'm going to say... I think Oregon and Washington are at this point, but we'll see. Yep. Uh, the days of Stanford being dominant are over. Mm. I don't think they're. I mean, I'm going to say false. I don't think they're like. I don't think it's impossible to be that they're, they're. I don't. What's think, the
1: definition of dominant? Is I guess my question.
0: I mean, going they're to- not.
1: They're, they're they're not winning. They're not going to BCS bulls or New Year's Six bulls every single year anymore. So I would say. Uh, true. I think they're going to be good. Um, and I think they'll have the occasional year where they're really, really good and they make a, a new year six bowl, but, um, doing what they did in, in, in late Harbaugh, early Shaw years. I don't know if that's coming back.
0: Okay. I think that's fair. I think, but I, I think they can still do that. I think they can still go to Rose Bowls and stuff, but, um, as far as like two or three in a row, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, maybe UCLA fans should remember that the five teams they played are this year are now 25 and three. True. True, but one of those teams was named Cincinnati and one of them was named Fresno State, right?
1: Yes, those but, were the names of those two football those teams. Those are also
0: true? Yes. Okay, uh, but I do think those teams are playing pretty well. Dan Weber's source that claims dollar sign UC almost fired Clay Helton last year after winning the conference to go after Chip Kelly is actually a Scott Wolf <laughs> bobblehead doll that also told Gerard Martinez that Moore was actively trying to leave UCLA and wanted the, <laughs> the dollar sign UC job. <laughs> nice. so I don't think he's liking that that uh what Dan where are you saying.
1: on this Ryan true or true or false uh no
0: I, I would be so I'd be shocked if they actually did go after Chip Kelly I thought that'd be if they did or if they were thinking about it and they just um I don't think they really did but I think that if the talk was that that was that what they wanted to do I think that's a great sign for USC fans because that means they would actually try to get Whoever the hot name was, you'd get the the best available coach. Would Chip Kelly or Scott Frost were thought as the best available coaches that year? If USC actually thought about talking to one of them, that's a huge step because they would never even think about that before. So I think that's a good thing.
1: Yeah. All right, and then from uh, Josh uh, Bizarro, Jake Browning. Ooh. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener from Arkansas, Joshua. I have a theory. Is Manny Wilkins the bizarro Jake Browning? Nobody have has, ever has anything bad to say about him. National reporters and podcasters always say he's good, but is he? His stats are comparable to Browning, and he looks the part physically, but every time I watch Wilkins, it never seems like the ASU offense is in rhythm, and his overall record as a QB is just okay. It seems like he should be better with his physical talent. Is he a top-10 quarterback in the Pac-12? Well, so I, I I wouldn't confuse the issue, because Jake Browning, he, he's playing on a top-10 team, and it, it stands out that he is a little bit of a limiting factor on that top 10 team. Manny Wilkins is like a, an average quarterback on like a middling Pac-12 team. So it's a, it's a different deal. Um, like you're not expecting him to be a superstar. Right. Um, so he's – I think he's probably a uh, – I think he's probably comparable statistically, probably comparable from all those areas, but it's not like he's playing on a top 10 team and, and, you know, making bizarre, like crippling decisions at certain times, uh, for his top 10 team. I mean, it's, he's playing on a, you know, a six or seven win, probably ASU team.
0: Yeah. He's playing on a team that finished second in the PAC 12 South division and the coach got fired. You know what I mean? That there's like a whole different situation than, playing for Chris Peterson for four years. Um, I would love to see what Manny Wilkins would, would have been able to do. Like if, if he was Chris Peterson's quarterback, like what, yeah. what, what, how different would Washington be Dave over the last four years? If it's you switched Browning and, uh, and Manny Wilkins,
1: I'd be interested. Not, it is, it is interesting. Look at thinking about the situations and how, how would ASU have been if Jake Browning was playing quarterback for them?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean maybe both, I don't know, but that would be kind of interesting. Um, this is from Anthony. Uh, who would you rather have at quarterback: Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, or 2017 Khalil Tate? Mm. I mean, it depends what you're doing. Like, what what are we? You know, am, uh, am I building a house? Do I have a team in the Pac-12 South? Or do I have a? Am I? Yeah. <laughs> who's?
1: who's am I the who's head other- coach of Navy?
0: Like, what am I, what are we doing here? <laughs> who's 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 the
1: team? Like, am yeah. I doing this with? Am I doing this with Alabama's receivers or am I doing this with Arizona's receivers?
0: Yeah. Um, Or
1: Oregon's. I mean, if you're taking like just average team where you're, you know, you've got uh, some decent receivers. I mean, I'm probably going Herbert in that group.
0: Um,
1: But 2017 Khalil Tate was a cheat code and uh, you know, in the right scheme, he was obviously super dominant. Um, But I, I think I'm taking Herbert that that version of Tate is looking a little bit more like it was a mirage these days. So yeah, why not Herbert?
0: Yeah, I'll go Herbert. um, But you know, tuas I mean, he's been special, but like, you know, he's playing a half of a game. He throws, he's 10 to 13 with four touchdowns and 300 something yards. It's like, that's like,
1: it's like a dominant high school team playing all of the, like also ran high school teams where the starting quarterback plays. It's like Tate Martell at Bishop Gorman. Like, their across-the-board talent is so much better than everybody else that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Yeah, two is really good. It's not like he's bad. Um, But I I don't know if you stuck him on Oregon this year that he'd be doing better than Justin Herbert.
0: Right. I agree with that. He also says, Does Washington or Oregon have a shot in a potential playoff matchup against Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, or Notre Dame? Thanks from Anthony.
1: I think – this is uh, this is kind of why I'm talking up Oregon more, is I think they are maybe more equipped. Um, their physicality up front on the offensive line, I think it, it gives them the potential. I don't say they're going to, but it gives them the potential to run the ball on even really good defenses. Um, I don't know if Washington has that um, with Trey Adams going down and that offensive line not looking super elite so far this year. Um, Oregon might have it. Um, and so I don't, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I think they'd be able to run the ball a little bit. And if they're able to run the ball a little bit, it, you know, makes some things open up in the passing game. Um, I could see Oregon being in a game. I, I think they're really good. They should have beaten Stanford yeah. pretty bad. Um, and they're, they've, they've passed the eye test for me in a, in a real way.
0: But the problem is, I don't know just-
1: if they're, yeah, their defense is iffy.
0: Yeah, the problem is they didn't beat Stanford at home, and it's just like, all right, that was, that was a that was in Eugene, right? Yeah, that was uh
1: yeah, yeah. In Eugene.
0: I mean, that's tough, and I don't think anybody's touching Alabama. Like they just look like no, they look like a cheat code. But you could like hang with Clemson maybe, or uh, even like Ohio State or something. I don't know, but I I'm not sure I, at this point. Alabama, even Georgia, but. Alabama just looks like it's like a whole nother level. Like they should probably just stop playing the sport and do something else.
1: Yeah. Play, play the NFL or something. All right. Final injury or final question. And this is the one we've been teasing. Um, Nikhil injury play. Hi Ryan and Dave. I'm again, very disappointed in the officiating and also the Colorado player who blindsided Nikhil and injured him during injured him during the CU ASU game. The player was blocked out of bounds, ran 20 yards down the sideline and hid behind his bench before coming out and blasting Nikhil. This type of dirty play doesn't have any place in football. The worst part is, even if the refs had called the penalty, it would have just been 15 yards for unsportsmanlike, and Nikhil would have still been injured, and our offense still would have completely stopped functioning without him. With this tacked on to the brutal hit on Frank Darby, it seems like there's a lot of incentive to just play dirty and never really face any consequences. Here's a view from a wide camera end lens that shows him blocked out of bounds, head deeper out of bounds, and then come from out, out from behind his players rather than immediately return to the field of play as the rules state. Thanks, guys. Bobby um yeah what did you think of this
0: so w- the first part was g- it was awesome like when they first sent out just like the tighter angle and it looked like a player just came off of the sideline and tackled them like you're like that's a guy that just came off the he just came off the bench and uh which I thought would be great like especially if the Pac-12 missed it like it's gonna be so much fun to talk about and then the Pac-12 sent out that wider thing um, and so the, the rule is you, you're supposed to try to, you, you have to come right back into play. But I think at that point I, it's hard to see, but it seems like he, he got pushed in like behind the bench and he could either like stop and like walk back or just keep running where there was an open path. And it seemed like that's what he was doing. I don't know. I'm, mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's terrible that Nikhil Harry got injured and stuff, but I'm not sure. I'd need to talk to official, you know, to see. But it seemed like he was running and and really just took the only path that was in front of him, which was a wider around the people that were on the bench area um, because it was kind of a steep angle where he got pushed out of bounds. So he was pretty deep into the sideline. And maybe at that point you're supposed to just run sideways, you know, uh, perpendicular to the sideline and come back on the field. But he just kept running and where the space was, ended up taking him around the bench and then back into – which he did pretty smoothly to be you know fair. But yeah, that, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think there would need to be an, I think there needs to be a new rule. Cause I don't uh, watching the play. I mean, I, I completely see what you mean and I could see how you'd see it that way where he starts kind of jogging on the sideline, but I think he was just trying not to trip and hit anybody. I mean, I think his intention was to come back out onto the field. It's just, he'd had to like break through the line of players to his right, right. or he'd had to do something a little bit odd. I think they need a new rule, though, which is if you get pushed out of bounds and I don't know the full ramifications of this, you can't be the first person making a play. You know what I mean? You know, in basketball or yeah, I think this is in basketball where if you touch the ball after going out of bounds and maybe I'm thinking of something else entirely, I, I, there's, a, there's some sport with a rule. When you, you get pushed out of bounds. Football, yeah. 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 Illegal so, touching, like, he, duh. He, yes. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, illegal touching. So you could – uh, something like that for special teams as well because that does happen a lot where a guy gets pushed out of bounds um, and it is dangerous because – so first, that's one of the most – these are the dangerous plays in football. Special teams plays, guys get hurt a ton on. And if you add in the fact that a guy could just, you know, get pushed out of bounds and then run and, and really blindside you in a way that – Really, only quarterbacks ever take hits like that. Um, And if you're not ready for it in any way, because the quarterback standing back there, it's always in the back of your head. I could take a big hit right now. I need to get this ball out. But if you're not ready for it in any way, and he wasn't even looking because he's not expecting anybody to be coming from that angle, um, that's just dangerous. And I don't think I mean, maybe I, I can't speak to any player's intention. It doesn't look like he was trying to be deceptive to me, watching the play, right, Um, but it ends up being deceptive because Harry was not expecting anybody from that angle. So I would say that's the kind of play that necessitates a a rule change.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And you're watching it again. It's like he's trying to – he's like stepping over. Like you're basically just behind this mass of bodies. I feel like he was trying to get on the field as soon as he could, but the problem was because Harry was so close to that sideline, it was a blindside. I mean it really – I i'm not sure there was an I, I don't feel like they were you know just watching it there was intent to like deceive and then just kind of blindside him but that's the way it kind of ended up uh happening so i i felt he was trying to get back onto the field of play going around all those people but it just so happened to be like once he emerged and coming out at a steep angle like he went into the sideline um you were able to blindside harry and uh I I wouldn't be opposed to some kind of rule change like that because you want to avoid something like this. I don't know how you would word the rule, but I, I don't I didn't seem it didn't seem like hey I watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to like come out and blindside the guy and he's not going to know it. I it didn't seem like that was the intent there. Yeah, I don't know.
1: That's that sucks it. though.
0: It I mean hope I think Chris Cartman reported after the game. It didn't seem like it was going to be a long like injury for both those guys, but yeah we'll see hopefully not you want to see them, them back out but the Arizona State has a buy at least so you can kind of yep get uh, stuff all right Dave's got to go I can tell the yups um you got things to do right Dave
1: I've got a life to lead only right. one life to lead
0: so we had five games to recap and four to preview and we still went over two hours
1: we are um spectacular people <laughs>
0: well thanks for everyone for tuning in uh that's david woods i'm ryan abraham we are the podcast of champions the only pac-12 podcast you will ever need talking all things pac-12 football thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time